0: By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Soule, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Martino. Welcome to this
1: week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd. Here's another outstanding card. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. And I am your host, Ray Russell, guys. And this week on Regional Wrestling, we continue on with Georgia Championship Wrestling 1981 with guest co-host Jamie Ward. Lots of big things going down this week. Not one, but two. Count them, two. NWA World Heavyweight title changes. The wildfire Tommy Rich going to dethrone. Harley Race of that NWA crown, going to talk all about that wild week in the NWA in Georgia. Here this week on the show, also going to take a look at the May 2nd edition of GCW-TV. And then from there, oh, it's going to get good. Me and Jamie, we're going to take a look, a deep dive into the International Wrestling League, what they called an outlaw promotion, a territory, if you will, that tried to run up against the NWA. How dare they? Promoted by Thunderbolt Patterson and Jim Wilson. We're going to talk about them coming into the Omni, trying to run the Omni, getting local TV down in Georgia, going to look at the IWL roster and a whole lot more. I have a feeling it's going to be a bit of a lengthy show, even though we're only covering seven days in the history of Georgia wrestling, because there was just so much going on over the course of that final week of April, leading into the first few days of the month of May. And we're going to get into all of that in just a few seconds. But first, just a friendly reminder that you can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, as well as the Wrestling Memory Grenade, currently covering the 1987 WWF Project over there, and Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, Raw vs. Nitro, breaking it down week by week, that Monday Night War, right now in the summer of 1996. And you can listen to all of those shows and more, including a brand new podcast I'll be announcing here next time on the show. And you can listen to all of that, again, and more, it's part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met. From Apple to Spotify, Google and beyond. And be sure to follow me on social media, guys. Follow me on Twitter, or X, or whatever they call it now. Now, you can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N-Grenade. Also, follow and like me Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Follow me on social media for all the latest goings-on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And I'm also constantly adding old-school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. And make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel while you're at it, guys. You can find me there, youtube.com slash Grenade, uploading new footage all the time, over 500 videos right now, and counting there over at YouTube. And last but not least, before we get the show rolling, now more than ever would be an absolutely fantastic time. To consider becoming a WrestleCopia patron, you can find me there at patreon.com WrestleCopia. That address again, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Multiple tiers to choose from, but I'm only asking you guys to give it a try at that $5 all-access tier. Get you all sorts of gifts for just 5 bucks, including all of my insanely detailed book-like show notes. Pages and pages of show notes for every episode of the Regional Wrestling Podcast. Monday Warfare, and of course the Wrestling Memory Grenade as well. Plus, you'll also get early access to many of the podcasts here on Wrestlecopia, where you can listen days, sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. But that's not all. You'll also get remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade Show covering the 1989 NWA project, talking Flare, Steamboat, Funk, Muda, Sting, Luger, and beyond, guys. And what do I mean about remastered? Well, it includes enhanced sound quality, but also new content and conversation. Originally edited out of the initial broadcast due to time restraints, edited right back into those shows. But that's still not all. You also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, and of course, that Patreon exclusive watch-along series, covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday Night's main events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more. Plus, random bonus video drops, just dropped one a week or two ago, and news clipping ads as well. You get all of that, and still more for the low, low price of just $5. No subscription, cancel anytime. Please show your support. Give it a try for a month. I think you'll like all the content that I offer out there for just $5. And every penny of it, guys, goes right back here into simply helping me pay the bills to keep the WrestleCopia Podcast Network up and running for the years to come. That's right. I'm not taking this money to buy myself a nice dinner, put it towards a new car, take a vacation out of town. Nope. Every penny of everything you guys gives me goes right back here into the podcast network, paying the bills to keep this thing up and going. And now with all of that said and out of the way, it's time to dive back into that way back machine guys, all the way back to 1981, heading back one more time to Georgia championship wrestling. (laughs) All right, guys, and away we go. Before we can begin the show, we got to bring him back. I'm talking about my co-host here for this GCW 1981 project. You've heard him in the past on Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam. Also, he's appeared on the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership. Hope I did it justice. And right now, he is the guest co-host here on Regional Wrestling to help us navigate through 1981 in Georgia wrestling history. Bring him back one more time. Talking about Mr. Jamie Ward. Jamie, welcome back to the show. Glad to have you back, man.
2: It's great to be back, Ray. Right? I've been showing my fingernails, waiting to get on again.
1: I'm sure I've heard you on the other ship podcast, and I know you've got a lot of things going on. But vacation has arrived for you, Jamie, and wow, uh, very first—well, maybe not the very first day of vacation, but maybe work day of vacation—and uh, you're spending it with me. So I feel
2: honored. Well, it's my pleasure. We've long overdue. We've had a couple of hiccups that prevented this, but we're ready to roll now.
1: Yeah, I do want to apologize to everyone who's been waiting the last couple of weeks for a new show. I've had a lot going on. I've expressed that already here on a show. I've done it on social media. I posted a little audio blurb on uh, my Patreon as well, explaining I've just got a lot of things going on and I'm kind of on the downside of that now. It's on the downswing. Things are starting to normalize once again, and we're back and we're back at it
2: and I'm ready to roll. Let's do it, Ray. Let's get moving.
1: Absolutely. So this week, guys, we're covering only a seven-day period in Georgia Championship Wrestling history, but what a seven-day period it was. We're going to talk two NWA world title changes, big news on Andre the Giant. We'll look at the May 2nd edition of GCW TV, and from there, we're going to dive into the outlaw promotion, the International Wrestling League, the IWL, promoted by Thunderbolt Patterson and Jim Wilson around this time. What an interesting
2: promotion that was. I I wish I had had known more about it. Um, I would have tried years ago digging up some video from that that promotion because to say it was interesting is to say it's interesting.
1: (laughs) You got that right. There is some out there of the IWL on YouTube. You guys can go find it. Check it out for yourselves. Uh, We're going to get to that later in the show, but first we're going to look at Georgia Championship Wrestling from the NWA, sanctioned by the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance. As uh, we left off, we talked about the Omni card, April the 26th, but we follow that up, April the 27th here, right here out of the gate, Augusta, Georgia, Bell Auditorium. And on the card, it's Robert Gibson over the French Angel, Jerry Oates defeats Jim Duggan, Andre the Giant back in the territory, momentarily, over the Mongolian Stomper, And uh, Stomper going to finish out his uh, run here on May the 4th, so he's almost gone from the company. Also here in Augusta, it was Mr. Wrestling 2 teaming with Ted DiBiase, scoring a win over the Freebirds, Terry Gordy, and Buddy Roberts. But then it happens, Jamie. The NWA World Heavyweight title on the line as Wildfire Tommy Rich defeats Harley Race to capture the NWA crown. It actually happened, guys. Wildfire Tommy Rich, the new... NWA World Champion,
2: and talk about holy shit moments. Pardon my French. Absolutely. Ma- ma- imagine buying a ticket to go to Augusta, Georgia, like you did every single week, where you deep down you knew nothing would ever happen, and then boom! New World Heavyweight cha- Champion Tommy Rich of all people. Yeah, it's uh,
1: crazy to think think that Tommy Rich defeats the World Champion with his Thez press finisher, that high vertical crossbody, if you will according to Gordon Soley anyway. So Tommy Rich, the new NWA world champion, pinning Harley Race in the center of the ring. And they have a return match the following night in Macon, Georgia at the Coliseum, April the 28th. Again, Tommy Rich defeating Harley Race. Let's see if that continues on here. April the 29th, Columbus, Georgia at the Memorial Auditorium sees the French Angel go to a draw with Roberto Soto. It's Robert Gibson over Jim Duggan. Jerry Oates defeats the Mongolian Stomper. Wow, that was interesting. Also on the card, DiBiase in Wrestling 2 again over Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts. And in that main event, NWA World Champion Tommy Rich for the third time pinning Harley Race. And that takes us off to Rome, Georgia, April the 30th. Day, well, I guess you would call it day four if you count the initial date of the title win. Tommy Rich again defeating Harley Race here. So three successful title defenses thus far. For Tommy Rich, some interesting towns, Rome, Georgia at the Memorial Gym, of all places, the World Championship on the line. And then we fast forward one more day, Jamie, May the 1st. We're now in May of 1981 here in Georgia, Gainesville, Georgia, to be exact, the Georgia Mountain Center. And on the fourth day, maybe the fifth, depends on how you want to count it, Harley Race defeats Tommy Rich to regain the NWA world title. So world title, Tommy hardly knew ye, but no doubt he wants it
2: back. And unfortunately, Tommy never gets it back. It it looked like maybe when he was fighting Flair later on that he was going to get the belt back, but he didn't. And what what an interesting week. I mean, I remember them making a big deal over Dusty Rhodes having that one-week title run. But this one might have been a little bit more impressive because it was won cleanly and basically lost cleanly all in the same week. Plus, all those little Georgia towns where you had the title defense against Harley Race— I'm sure when they walk in and they hear the announcement that Tommy Rich beat uh, Harley in Augusta. Now all these little towns are saying, Hey, if it can happen in that kind of town, it can happen in our town. There's and no unfortunately way. for the Gainesville fans, they find out Friday night. It does <laughs> it happen. In it,
1: exactly. Town. Yeah. It's there's no internet back in 1981. So the only way you're finding out is if maybe there's a traveling fan who just is a super fan and drives around everywhere. Maybe sharing the story other than that. Maybe local news back in 81, I'm not sure. But outside of that, you're right. You don't know that a title change has taken place. I'd say 99% of the crowd likely had no idea that there was a title change until he got to the arena
2: and were alerted so. Right, and whoever the ring announcer is, probably right at the beginning of the show, made the announcement about Tommy winning the belt. Oh, my God, could you imagine the pop
1: when the ring announcer got in the ring? On April the 27th, Augusta, Georgia, Tommy Rich defeated Harley Race to become the new nwa world champion so you're already a fan of the territory and now you learn that your guy your hero tommy rich is the world champion walking in there's not a chance of maybe he'll win the title here tonight he's already the champion he just has to defend it so maybe you didn't get to see the title win if you're in macon or columbus or, or rome georgia but you still got to see tommy rich as the world champion something very rare
2: right and they're going to be what probably only a couple thousand people never got to see that yeah. And it's true. Gainesville, only something like a thousand or so fans in the building
1: to see Harley race regain the title. And that's not because it didn't draw Jamie. That's just the size of the
2: building in Gainesville. Right. And most of those Southern buildings, from what my knowledge of them are, were like 1000, 2000 seat places. Cause they didn't want to go into like five, six, seven, eight thousand 8,000 seat places and not, and run every week. That's almost impossible unless you're in Memphis to, you know, put a crowd of that size in there. Right. So On a week-after-week basis. And that'll that'll bring us to the big
1: question. Why was Tommy Rich given that brief world title run? And right now, guys, we will run through all of the stories, the facts, the unsubstantiated rumors, you know what they are, and maybe even debunk some things in the process as well. So let's start right out of the gate and address the elephant in the room, Jamie. You know what I'm talking about. The rumors. Now, story goes according to Jim Wilson anyway, and maybe a couple others, that it was the Sheik, the original Sheik, who made the claim of being at Jim Barnett's condo a couple of months prior to this title win for Tommy Rich, the Sheik mistaking a bedroom door as a bathroom. Sheik opened it up to find Tommy Rich in there with Jim Barnett, the promoter of Georgia Championship Wrestling. And uh, so that's where the rumors started. I've heard it, you know, I've heard just anonymously reported. I've also seen a couple of times where people have reported it was the Sheik who started this story that maybe Tommy Rich did some shenanigans in order to, quote unquote, earn this title run, which is just silly in my my opinion anyway. Now, there's a lot of people say, did something happen? I have no idea. That's possible. But it had nothing to do with, you know, the world title changes here. So I wrote my only thoughts here as far as the story goes with the Sheik that that he had seen Rich and Barnett. This happened a couple months prior to the world title change. I wrote a couple of months earlier because you got to remember, DiBiase was originally being groomed for a world title win here. Plus, Tommy Rich, he had just returned to the company at that point.
2: Right. He he had just returned. And I've heard several different versions of this, uh, of what actually went down. Uh, And I'll start with this one. I've heard both. I've heard that there was no truth to this one at all. I've heard that from some wrestlers. I've also heard from some wrestlers that there is a little truth behind it, but I'd never heard the chic part of the story before. I just heard that Tommy Rich was Barnett's boy, but not necessarily in that, in those terms. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, obviously there's a lot of different variations of the rumor. Now the chic's name came from, and you know, Jim Wilson, the one of the men who exposed the wrestling business and things like that it came from his book and after you know i had never re- read jim wilson's book i've read a lot of books and that was one i kind of just left sitting but i actually went back and i read good chunks of some of the stuff in georgia that happened when he was there in the in the mid 70s because there there was other shenanigans back in that time period but also clearly here in 1981 and there was a big giant lawsuit a lot of that comes out there in the book and i won't say that i would find this guy to be 100% accurate or 100% credible but the way it's delivered in the book, it sounds like there could be merit to some of the things that he's saying, or at least he believes them anyway, rather than just some ego maniacal type type of guy. Now, this I'm not referring to this specific thing, mind you. But he does say that you know it was the Sheik who was the one who started this uh, rumor anyway. Now I don't know if it was the Sheik, and I'm not trying to name names. I'm just going off of a book, and I believe another shoot interview I heard several years ago from another wrestler. I don't even remember who who. It's the first time I ever heard the word, uh, the Sheik's name thrown into this, but I'm not saying it. I wasn't there. I have no idea. I don't even know if this even happened, right? I've seen people say, could it have happened? It's possible, but it had nothing to do with the world title run. My opinion as a kid or the first time I ever heard these stories was you wanted to believe it was true because it was sensationalized and you're a kid and this is ridiculous and over the top, but as I matured and got older and stuff, I just think it's, to me, uh, silly that that would get, get Tommy the world title for four or five days.
2: Yeah, I I first heard about this 87, 88, 89 when we used to go to those dinners at the Rivet with Dennis Carluzzo and mm-hmm. Cornette and them you know, and a variety of other wrestlers, including Tommy Rich. But this story doesn't come from Tommy Rich. And I, I, I just heard a couple different versions. And who knows which is going to wind up being the, the real true version.
1: Yeah, and we're going to go on because we're going to talk a little more about this world title change here. Now, having a brief run as world champion to boost a talent, or a territory for that matter, wasn't exactly uncommon, like people try to say, well, Tommy Rich won that title, he only had the belt for four or five days, that was very uncommon in in, in the time period, and so that's why we know for sure that the quote-unquote rumors are true, but that wasn't exactly uncommon, Jamie, over the last several years leading into 1981, Rich wasn't the only person to win the world title short term. People forget Dusty Rhodes. He only had the belt the first time for like five days himself. Then there was, uh, you know, Giant Baba. He would buy himself additional title wins there as world champion. He would pay somebody normally Harley Race to drop the belt to him. And then, you know, they would pick the belt back up before the tour was over. So Baba could claim another world title run there. And of course, later on, Kerry Von Erich and Ronnie Garvin uh, won't hold the belt for too long either. For obviously very different reasons.
2: Now, my understanding of the, the Baba title reigns is that at one point they didn't count in the official NWA record book. Uh, it wasn't until probably after the, the Dusty Ring, or rather the, the 81 Dusty Ring, that they decided to, since the cat was out of the bag, they decided to recognize those title reign as the first one where he beats uh, Jack Briscoe the first time, right?
1: Right. I I believe if I remember my stories, and I haven't looked into this in a long time, the first title change was okayed by the governing body, if you will, the NWA or whatever the story goes. But it was the ones where he would drop him to race, where it was basically uh, bonuses to Harley Race. Hey, you drop this belt to me for a few days, and you get X amount of dollars. And, you know, Harley was a businessman. And he had no problem doing that.
2: Right. And uh, I'm sure we're going to uh, tackle more of the Harley Race part mm-hmm. of this title change, but right. I, I have heard that the Dusty title range title change was approved also. However, the... Uh, You're talking Sandwich, about the original,
1: the first Dusty.
2: The, the uh, first uh, one in 79, which okay. happened almost uh, 45 years ago today. Wow. Roughly older the, it older was, than r- me. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember reading that in the magazines. I didn't know about it until like probably four or five months later. Right. That's how far you know, behind the news was, uh, I can still picture the cover of the magazine, Dusty Rhodes wins the NWA title, and Terry Funk costs him the belt five days later. I heard that Sam Muchnick wasn't happy with the Terry Funk part in the second match, uh, okay. where they give the belt back. He right. wasn't happy that Dusty didn't do the clean job. Yeah, I could see Muchnick not being happy
1: with a, a clean job, especially in a, obviously a world title match, as straight-laced as Muchnick was with his booking in St. Louis, but. I could see him having an issue <laughs> with the uh, the funk thing there. But it's uh it's kind of interesting that a lot of people say, well, who would give the belt to somebody for five days? The NWA world title didn't change hands like that back then. And it's like, yeah, it did at least a few times prior to Tommy Rich's run here. Now, his does stick out also because it kind of came out of nowhere. Remember, on the last episode of Regional and we were talking, uh, we were heading into the Omni. They were all building up Ric Flair as the number one contender. Flair going in, vowing to stay in Georgia until he wins the NWA world title, they go to the matchup. I think there was a DQ involved or something there. But nevertheless, Flair doesn't win the title. And the very next day on a smaller show, it's Tommy Rich coming out the champion. So it feels like it was sort of a last-minute decision.
2: Uh, that's what I believe. I, I don't think it was pl- – and if it was planned ahead of time, there was a lot of tight lifts. Nobody was letting that information out. The, the only people who probably knew it was uh, Bornett at the time and Harley Race. I wouldn't be surprised if Tommy didn't know it until he got to the ring. Well, that's, well, Tommy, Tommy's story was he didn't
1: know it until he got to the building, or at least some point in that night, so I believe that.
2: Yeah, I, I wish I had asked Tommy about this the, the night I hung out with him, but he was too busy throwing broken beer bottles, or not broken beer bottles, beer bottles out of my car window at the homeless people <laughs> as we went down Chestnut Street in Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, I've uh rode up and down some roads with Tommy as well, so... <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> Seen some things, some very interesting things. So uh, we'll go on, though. We'll leave it there for now. I've also heard tell of rumors, and this is more from shoot interviews, and you know how accurate those can be sometimes with the wrestlers and their memories. They remember things the way they want. But I've heard it mentioned at least a couple of times, and I wish I went back and tried to figure out whose shoots these were from. But, God, I'd have to listen to, like, 50 of them to to figure that out, and I'm not doing that. So, But there was rumors of a power struggle at this point, Ole Anderson trying to get more points in the company and Jim Barnett, supposedly that led to him politicking for Tommy Rich to get the title here. And I don't really buy this one, Jamie, because Ole wasn't really in a position at 81 to have Barnett worried, at least from what I know. And I don't know what Jim Barnett getting the belt put on Tommy Rich would have done to aid Barnett to hurt Ole Anderson.
2: I don't see how that happens either. I mean, Barnett politicking just, uh, I mean, if, Barnett was really pulling the strings. Tommy Rich gets to appear on TBS with the belt, and he never did. So I think there's the validity that it was basically between him and Harley Race's quick title change. So we go on here. I got more notes. Uh, Tommy Rich
1: himself, I did see a quick clip shoot interview of Tommy Rich going into this show of him talking about this title change here with Harley Race. Now, Tommy made a claim that it was actually Harley Race's idea to give him the strap. 1 because Rich was so over in the Georgia area and it was cable TV and B it had helped the Georgia territory overall grow since cable was you know booming at this point or starting to really grow across the entire United States and Tommy has stated that back in that time period you had to put up 10 grand of your own money as collateral if you were the champion because of the belt's actual worth and Rich has pointed out that Harley was so confident that the title change was going to be short term it was all on the up and up, that he trusted Tommy and Jim Barnett that he never even retrieved his 10 grand did Harley Race. He let Tommy hold on to the title on Race's own 10 grand for that short week. So I believe that. I think that Harley probably did that most of the times. he knew he was getting the belt back overnight or, or a week later or whatever.:
2: Yeah, this is probably the most legitimate of any of the claims of how he got the belt. This is the one that I believe the most. Maybe it wasn't totally Harley's idea. And it was Barnett and Harley over a few beers. But I I think that's the the most truthful of them all. Because he knew he was getting the belt back at the end of the week. He trusts Barnett because him and Barnett go way back. There was nothing to worry about. Besides, if he got his hands on Tommy Rich after that, he'd have broken both arms and both legs.
1: Yeah, I thought it was funny in the shoot that Tommy did where he said that was Harley's idea. I just don't see Harley walking around coming up with ideas as far as like, ah, I think he should win the world title for five days or whatever while I'm here or things of that nature. I agree with you. Maybe it was more of a sit down, some beers with Jim Barnett, who kinda pushed it and Harley was like, yeah, whatever. And it was kinda like, that's fine. And the the blonde kid can have it. And then there you go. Tommy Rich is world champion for a few days. Just that simple. A lot of people want to think there's a lot more that goes into this because it is the world title. And typically there there was, especially, you know, prior to this and after this as well. But it just seemed like a really weird Wild West period here with the world title when Harley Race had, had the reins.
2: I'll give you a, a theory that I re- thought about until just this moment. Barnett approaches Harley, says, Hey, I need to create another superstar that I am going to control right here on TBS. I can't get you, Harley Race, in here every week to be on my TV. Right. But if we can give this guy the, the title for. Just a couple days, I now have my own NWA World Heavyweight Champion that's going to be on TV every single week. And I get to remind people that he was NWA World Heavyweight Champion, champion. Champion. And anytime the champion does come back in town, there's a chance he's going to regain the championship because he is on TBS. So you just created your Hulk Hogan for TBS.
1: That's what well said. That's what I was just thinking. You have your Hulk Hogan because you can now lay claim that your top star was the former NWA world champion. And that's really all you need to really get him over. He's done it. Leading into that match, Harley race and Ric Flair, they made sure to announce that while Flair was the number one contender, Tommy Rich was right on his heels as the number two contender. So Tommy, Ric Flair gets his title shot. He fails. Tommy gets his title shot and succeeds. So there you have it. Tommy Rich got his title shot. And becomes the world champion, if only for a few days. Harley Race wins it back, but people often ask, why did neither of these title changes, Race to Rich or Rich back to Race, why did neither of these title changes take place in the Omni? That would make sense—16,000 fans out to see one of these title changes. Well, the title switches were planned rather abruptly compared to most world title changes, and thus Harley's commitments, his calendar as NWA champion, were already booked, guys. So. If you recall, race had already been slated to defend against Ric Flair at the Omni. That was April 26th, just a day prior to Tommy's win. Well, leaving race the option to drop and pick up the belt over the course of the remaining five days on his tour here, if you will, in GCW, hence the smaller cities used for those title changes. Now, they stretched out that quote unquote title run for Rich as many days as they could before Rich drops it back to Harley on a Friday night, that was because race was about to leave the territory, move on to the next territory. So the idea being the title switch was part of an overall strategy to, quote unquote, jumpstart Georgia Championship Wrestling, which was picking up steam on both Cable and its recent expansion into those new territories. Remember, they're in Ohio. They're moving into West Virginia. Soon they'll be in Michigan. So they're starting to spread out. They're even trying to throw some talent out the ways of San Francisco, even though Shires is already done. so. They're seeing what they can get away with here at this point. And so it only makes sense, like you said, with the putting over their local talent.
2: Right. And part of the strategy. Now, these other towns that you're expanding into, you could see an NWA title change if it happens, if the champ is defending in your town. And they got at least two, three solid years out of that. Oh, absolutely. I I mean, that strategy up until the the time that... um, That There was always a chance that the NWA title was going to change hands somewhere in the Georgia circuit.
1: Yeah, I think people knew what they had. They knew that it was on cable. They knew that it was of the NWA territories, unless you were local to the other NWA territories. You probably felt that this was, you know, one of the uh, bigger promotions, certainly. And like you said, you would expect the world title to be more prominently featured title changes and things of that nature there in Georgia. Uh, Now, this is where some people's claims differ uh, with the whole entire situation here between rich and race. For instance, given our upcoming discussion of the IWL outlaw promotion run by Thunderbolt Patterson and Jim Wilson, when I was doing all that reading in Wilson's book, and while I was there in that book, there was plenty of Wilson talking about Georgia Championship Wrestling, the NWA, Jim Barnett, and what they did to quote unquote sabotage the IWL, including. Jim Wilson, now this is Jim Wilson's take, he made the claim that the multiple world title changes that week, from Race to Rich and back, were also ordered as a way to shut down the IWL before it even got going, specifically the Gainesville card where Race beats Rich in a building that only held reportedly 1,000 fans. Now, Wilson made claims that the title changes were done to juice up the Georgia houses and TV show, put more eyes on the TV product, Rather than to take notice that there was a new territory in town,
2: there's probably some validity
1: to that. It gets I mean, more hard, interesting or, when we get to IWL as well. I, I didn't, you know, it's it's hard to decipher were they really that worried about this, but I can see trying to nip something in the bud as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, you look at all Pornette had to do was really look at one episode of the television and <laughs> know they were no threat. But but then again, Chief Jay Strongbow, he was on national television out of New York, so maybe. Well, we'll get to that when
1: we get back to the IWL. The uh, Thunderbolt Patterson Hour, a.k.a. the IWL TV show. Just saying, guys. uh, So while we're here, before we move on, let's talk Tommy Rich. Just your opinion now. There's no rumors. There's no facts here, Jamie. I think we covered all of the uh, ins and outs of all the different variations. If you know another one, I'd love for you to chime in with it just on the other side of this question for you. But let's talk Tommy Rich. Let's say he was given that belt to see what he can do with it and he becomes a traveling champion, set aside his demons, just Tommy Rich, the wrestler, can a Tommy Rich character get over
2: in multiple territories at this point in his career? At that time, yes. Okay. Because he's you know he's on national television every week. I think he could have got over, and whether he gets a multi-year run with the title, I don't think that was happening, because uh, you do have Ric Flair at the same time. Ric Flair... Can play that whole tweener stuff, oh, Tommy. <laughs> yes, he, he 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 was a heel in Memphis, but we hadn't seen Tommy as the heel in the national limelight. And I don't think you could pull a trigger with how popular he was, especially with the women. I, I, I don't think you could have pulled that. Him going to Portland, Oregon to face uh, a top baby face and play heel, or I, I don't think you could have Tommy Rich going into world class as a heel. Because he he's just playing he's just too much of a good guy on t b s that would be the the down part of having Tommy Rich as your world heavyweight champion
1: yeah, see you're right. see, being on the superstation w t b s it certainly helped if you had cable now in nineteen eighty one cable hadn't even been connected or available in a large lot of homes still, but it was certainly reaching more than any other regional promotion was g c w at this point. Could 1981 Tommy Rich have pulled off a great heel run? Me personally, I don't know if I'd buy a, a super heel run for Tommy Rich here in 1981. Like you said, in Dallas against the Von Ericks, I just can't see it. Maybe against somebody else he could do it. But like you said, I think Tommy more of a baby face there. And would the fans accept him in Dallas as someone bigger than the the, the hometown Von Ericks there? But then at the same time, you have places like Memphis where Tommy was, and I know Flair only came in and out of there, but Tommy was there. He had history there. So do you think if Tommy had gotten a little run with the NWA title that Jerry Jarrett would have saw dollar signs and worked with the NWA to get Tommy Rich, a guy who had history in Memphis, back to Memphis to do some NWA title stuff with Jerry Lawler?
2: Yeah, he, I think he'd have brought, well, he had turned him face, so he'd have had to turn him heel again in Memphis to go up against Lawler, which Jerry Jarrett, yeah, Jerry Jarrett was a magician, so he would have had no problem because Memphis was its own little world. Even if you do have <laughs> cable penetrating, you could do whatever you want there, and it, it's Nobody not going to affect anything, it anything
1: always, else. It always made sense. Guys flip-flopped every week, and I never questioned it.
2: Oh, Batman was there. What more do you need to know?
1: <laughs> very, very true. Very true. Good job, Jamie. So, but uh,
2: uh, one, one more thing before we move away from the whole Tommy Rich sure. title change. There's one story that I heard which... The the tie in, which I forgot to say earlier on, it definitely wasn't a pre-approved title reign because I understand that somebody called Jim Crockett in Japan Japan. and told him the belt had changed hands and he was on the first plane back to the United States. They actually address what the hell was going on. And then he uh, shows up on, we're going to get there, but he's going to show up on the Georgia Championship Wrestling Television, and Harley Race is the champion by the time he gets there.
1: Yeah, they make sure of that. So they knew that. They knew, hey, Jim Barnett's over in Japan. Uh, By the time he can get back here, we'll already have it switched back. So it is what it is. And it's kind of funny you you said that. We will get to that when we get to TV here in just a minute. I got another short topic to talk about. Actually, it's a giant topic, if you will. But, um, yeah, it's uh, kind of funny how they, they basically address everything you just said, but they sugarcoat it into the kayfabe world, and I can't wait to get there now that you told the, the the rest of the story, if you will. But before we get there, more big news, perhaps giant news, like I said. Andre the Giant, the eighth wonder of the world, breaks his ankle getting out of bed on May the 2nd after working a battle royal in Florida the day prior. Andre breaks his ankle getting out of bed. While Andre's biggest runs were still ahead of him, uh, the big feud against Killer Khan all around the horn everywhere. Of course, Hulk Hogan, WWF run all the way through. 1990, WrestleMania 6. Uh, but his physical well being after this ankle break, he was never the same again in the ring, returning questionably early for a man his size. He gets injured here, breaks his ankle, May the 2nd, a guy with this size, this mass, and he's returned to the ring by July.
2: Yeah, that was amazing because he's going to wind up working, in, uh, not Florida, Georgia when we get into August and September. I guess it wasn't that big of a break. I mean, it was a big break for him because he's a big guy. But it is amazing he was back within two months after this. And he made a, Killer Khan made a career off that. He sure did, because he had to be the man blamed for breaking the ankle of Andre the
1: Giant. So how lucky, right place, right time for Killer Khan.
2: Yeah, and uh, that was a heck
1: of a feud. So there it is, guys. Andre the Giant breaks his ankle. Just, I know it's not Georgia related. We did just see him here in the town taking on a Mongolian Stomper a couple of days prior to this, so I thought it would be. Uh, fun to bring this in here, because Andre, just a pivotal point in wrestling history uh, was this breaking of the ankle. Because like I said, Andre, he was already getting a little heavier by this point. Certainly wasn't the Andre of the 1970s. But I always look at this ankle break as sort of the, the turning point as far as his health goes. There's a, there's a bit of a decline in his wrestling skills, if you will, when he comes back.
2: Yeah, much more um, tailor-made for the WWF uh, plotting working uh rate. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and he gets away with it for almost another 10 years, to some degree anyway.
2: He's Andre the Giant, so he could do whatever he wanted to.
1: That's right, boss. As uh, we roll on, May the 2nd, Atlanta, Georgia, WTBS Studios for some GCW TV. And we kick things off right away with Gordon Soley standing by. Who else but Gordon? He announces that Tommy Rich has defeated Harley Race for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in Augusta on April the 27th. Big pop there from the studio crowd. And upon hearing the news of Tommy Rich winning that title, Gordon alerts us that, as you said, Jamie, the NWA president, Jim Crockett, returning from a major tournament in Japan. In fact, he has just arrived back here in the States, and he's here today for TV. Gordon putting over how great the competition is worldwide now, and that Tommy Rich is proof that the world title can change hands anywhere at any time got to get that over and it happened for the first time ever in Georgia just this past week not once but twice notice in the intro Gordon does not say Tommy Rich also lost the belt now we're going to find that out just briefly here but I just love how Gordon puts over Tommy Rich won the belt doesn't mention that a few days later he lost the title just yet
2: yeah well you gotta let the
1: fans soak it in absolutely I thought that was very I don't know if that was Gordon's call somebody else's call in the back but I thought that was a very masterful idea.
2: Yeah, you don't have to make that announcement right away and deflate the fans. Let the let the fans marinate on it for a little bit. Yeah, and it and then you could then you could tell the rest. <laughs> take of the story. it then you can take it
1: away from. <laughs> also, not announced at this point in the show, but I should make a note here. The Georgia heavyweight title has been officially vacated barring a tournament to crown a new champion. The former champ, Tony Atlas Gone from the territory. Now, in reality, he had already started working some matches for the WWF. And down in Southwest in April, he'll continue with sporadic appearances in San Antonio. He'll even do a little bit for Crockett in the Mid-Atlantic region through July before he heads back full-time to the WWF in August. So Tony Atlas gone from Georgia Championship Wrestling. Just no room for him here. I hate to say that, but you got DiBiase, Dog, all of the Cowboys favorites right there. Tommy Rich, you're not going to get rid of him. He just won the world title. So, I mean, obviously, t- unfortunately, Tony Atlas was the odd man out. and Maybe maybe it was his time to go. They c- I think they could have done more with him, yes. But at the same time, he had just had a run against the world champion Harley Race. What else are you going to do right now? And again, Atlas had been there probably the longest of all of them at this point. So, odd man out. Tony Atlas gone from the company, off to do various other things.
2: Yeah, Tony was there when he arrived the, the previous May and basically only disappeared to go do that bodybuilding uh tournament which i think was up in new york at the time mm-hmm. so his time was up it, it was time to move on i mean guys unless you're the the hometown exception like a you know a tommy rich the tully blanchards the Von erics y- you move on you don't stay in the territory for that long right and uh,
1: tony did move on at least for this time uh point in time but uh we got so many top stars here maybe Maybe he won't be missed at this point anyway. As we head off to the ring for our opening matchup, it's Bobby Eaton back in his winning ways here on TV, scoring a win over Pat Rose with a flying elbow drop. Eat your heart out, Macho Man. Bobby Eaton dropping a big elbow, picking up the win, five minutes and 45 seconds. Fun match there. As we head off, we haven't heard one of these in quite a while. I got a soundbite queued up, guys. Gordon Sully standing by with a promo from Bobby Eaton.
0: And a very, very fine match between two very aggressive young competitors. Let me see if I can't have a word uh, with the winner here, Bobby Eaton. Here's a young man who, of course, at one time uh, held the National Television Championship, a title that I'm sure he's uh, anxious to regain, a very aggressive match. Thank you, Mr. Sully. You know a lot of things happening right here now in Georgia, and I guarantee you before it's all over with,
3: the people in Georgia, not only in Georgia, but in the whole United States and the world, are going to know about Bobby Eaton, I guarantee you.
0: Well, I must say that uh, you certainly had a very aggressive match with a very tough competitor, but uh, you appear to be in a tremendous condition.
3: Well, I've been training hard, Mr. Soley, because I know if you train hard and you get in the ring with a guy that they've been training hard, you got about that much more of an edge on him, Mr. Soley. So when I get in the ring, like I told you last time, when I get in the ring with a guy that lays back and lays out with a big fat stomach every night, and I come in the ring, i I catch him with his eyes looking somewhere else. I'm going to put a boot outside his
0: face. Okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Mr. Sully. Bobby Eaton.
1: Before everything is said and done, everyone all over the country will know about Bobby Eaton. How prophetic, Jamie.
2: Yeah, he's just a few years early with that statement.
1: <laughs> no Jim Gornett by his side just yet, guys. So Bobby Eaton cutting his own promo there and does an okay job. Eaton talks about constantly training, being in shape, and... Whenever he steps in the ring with someone who doesn't train, who is out of shape, he'll put a boot in that fat man's face. I had to chuckle at that. And maybe not the best promo of all time, but Bobby given a little TV time this week to shine. And for good reason, given his spot he was scheduled to have anyway on the upcoming Omnicard. He's supposed to be taking on Steve-O for that uh, National Heavyweight Championship, but things will change a little bit heading in. But makes sense. Let's get Bobby back on TV. Let's give him a win. Let's give him some promo time because he's going to be getting a title shot.
2: Yeah, and that shows you where the the, uh, national title was at that point that he was going to get a title shot. Then again, they do have the belt on Mr. Personality, so this is the perfect matchup. Two guys just loaded with charisma at this point in their careers. Yeah, national heavyweight title
1: on the line, the top belt in your company, and it's underneath the Georgia title tournament as well as that up tag match. We'll talk about that a little more with the Freebirds and whatnot. So it's somewhere on the card, maybe number three from the, from the opener or something like that. But uh, we roll on with the show. You referenced it already, Jamie. The NWA president, Jim Crockett, arrives into Atlanta, uh, only to find out that Harley Race is once again the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. But here we go. It's Mr. Crockett. He takes it in great stride, standing by with Gordon Soley, as well as the wildfire, Tommy Rich
0: certainly a pleasure and an honor to have with me right now the president of the National Wrestling Alliance, Mr. Jim Crockett, who just deplaned a couple of hours ago uh, here in Atlanta after an overseas flight from uh, uh, Tokyo, Japan. And uh, Mr. Crockett, of course, I know you heard the word, you were in Japan when you heard the word that uh, Tommy uh, Wildfire Rich had defeated Harley Race for the World Championship in Augusta, Georgia.
4: And the people in Japan were certainly buzzing about it. Uh, Tommy... Uh, is extremely well-known over there, even though he hasn't been there yet. Uh, Tommy's reputation is uh, worldwide, and, of course, his defeating Harley Race Monday night in Augusta proved that his reputation is well-deserved. Certainly no
0: question about that. But on the opposite side of the ledger, Tommy, of course there was a rematch clause uh, that Harley Race has standardized, of course, in all of his contracts. There was a rematch, and uh, the outcome uh, on the the flip side was not quite that...
5: No, so it sure wasn't, Gordon. You know, it, it was uh Monday night in Augusta, it was like a dream come true, I guess, and uh you know, and and just like you said, I uh wrestled the Harley race last night and I uh, didn't do so good. But you know the thing is that, uh, you know, I try, I've been after Harley Race for a long time and it got to the point I didn't know if I could beat him so I proved to myself and to uh, all the people that's been behind Tommy Rich that I can beat him and, you know, I'll get another chance and I'd just like to thank Mr. Crockett, first of all, you know, for coming by and, you know, I certainly appreciate him stopping.
0: The Harley Race has in fact regained the World Heavyweight Championship last night in Gainesville.
4: Uh, that's correct but uh, t- I believe Tommy is the youngest man ever to hold the NWA Heavyweight Championship and he used to be highly commended for uh, that well certainly no question about that Tommy
0: and that had to be that that ultimate thrill when you stepped into a class uh, of professional wrestlers that's very elitist indeed
5: well Gordon you know Monday night in Memphis I mean still, still shook up you know after it's all happened you know in Augusta Monday night you know even after it happened you know I I got up and I knew I'd got the three count, but I could, you know, I just I couldn't even comprehend winning. I didn't realize, and I don't even think the people realized that I'd even won, the, you know, won the match until Ronnie West come over and raised my hand, and you know, that's when I started realizing what had just really happened to Tommy Rich.
1: And so there it was. The Japan world was abuzz, says Crockett about the NWA World Title change, and it forced Jim Crockett to change up his plans, leave Japan early, and come to see about that big title change. Crockett claims Rich, a very popular wrestler in Japan, admitting that even though he hasn't worked there yet, kind of weird, and after winning the world title, Rich's reputation around the world is well-deserved. Jim Crockett then even pointing out that Rich is now the youngest man to ever hold the NWA world title.
2: Yeah, Rich, how old is Rich here? About 23, 24? Uh, He breaks in in 76 So if he's 18, 19, you know, we're talking five, six years later. So around there, 23, 24, I would expect.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not positive. You're right. He was somewhere around that age for sure.
2: And how the mighty fall real quick, unfortunately.
1: It is what it is. Tommy Rich, you know, won the world title. Jim Crockett arrives to see what the hell's going on. Race has the belt back. So I don't know. Crockett seems to be taking it in good stride here. He's on GCW TV. So clearly they've smoothed anything over if there were any issues. Gordon Sully then announcing that Harley Race has standardized a rematch clause in his world title contracts, and when that rematch took place, well, the results weren't quite as good for the fans, nor Tommy Rich as Tommy Rich then joins in on the promo, he says, "I love this part of the promo, Tommy Rich says back then, Monday, not in Memphis, uh Augusta, he literally says Memphis, he gets so stuck on." Monday night, the Mid-South Coliseum. He says, Monday night in Memphis, uh, Augusta, was a dream come true. But on May the 1st in Gainesville, the result was eh, not so good. Rich dropped the belt back to Harley Race only four days later. But the main takeaway was that Tommy proved to all the supporters and maybe even some of the doubters that he can beat Harley Race, that he can be the NWA world champion. As Tommy Rich admits, that he has been chasing Harley and that title for so long, even he had some doubts himself that he could win the title at times. But he proved to everyone, including himself, that it can be done.
2: And I bought that interview, Hook, Line, and Sanker, because when he faces Flair later on, what, November, December, I actually thought Rich was going to win the belt back from Flair. Yeah, the story, you know,
1: once you've won the title, it's proven. No, I've been the former world champion. I can do it again. We've seen it happen. We've seen multiple uh, wrestlers regain that NWA world title a second time. And Ric Flair had never been champion up until that point. So he wasn't necessarily proven as world champion. So, yeah, I could buy believing that Tommy Rich could win the championship again. I certainly believed during his entire run here on top that it was always an uh, 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 there was always a chance that Tommy could be world champion again.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And how about Jim Crockett's face? (laughs) During, the, during that whole interview segment, you said it. He, he's just going with the moment. He didn't seem to be phased by what with, with whatever went on because he probably in the back of his mind saying, Oh, that crazy Harley race did it again.
1: Yeah. It didn't really uh, hurt. No matter what j-
2: that did it again was. Right. It was a different did it again, but he's probably used to <laughs> Harley race pulling jokes and stuff all the time that he w- wasn't really surprised by it. But no. He, he needed to get back just to make sure there wasn't any funky things going on, anything
1: going on behind his back. Hey, he's over in Japan. Let's let's do this now. We're going to make a big coup, take over the NWA or something silly like that. I can see Crockett panicking on the flight home, and there's no cell phones back then, so it's kind of curious, you know, how he got word over in Japan, who made the call, whatever the the case may have been. But it's a uh, pretty funny to know that. Yeah, the title change happens. Crockett comes flying back as fast as he can. Can you imagine that long flight from Japan? You get back and you find out, nope, they switched it back. And then instead of being pissed off, maybe he was when it first happened. I have no idea. But by the next morning, you know, cooler heads have prevailed anyway because they're recording this show Saturday morning, the night, the the morning after the title change back to race. And Crockett's just as cool as a cucumber here.
2: Yeah, well, I can see Harley Race picking up the phone and calling him. Hey, guess what I just did? (laughs)
1: I just dropped the belt to Tommy Rich on God's green earth.
2: <laughs> or, as you as you said earlier, tension between Barnett and Oli. Um, I agree with you. I don't think there was much tension going on at that point between the two because Bot, or Bot, Watts is still booking at this point, uh, not for much longer. Oli has always kept his nose in the business. It could have been Oli that made the call to Crockett. I mean, he's worked with Crockett long enough. That they're probably best buds.
1: Well, Oli is up there booking for Crockett at this point as well. So that very right, well
2: exactly. Been. So somehow Oli gets word. I, he's he wasn't on the card in Augusta, but I'm sure there's other guys that he's tight with that are at this card. They make the phone call to Oli. Oli makes the phone call to Crockett.
1: Very well could have been Oli. Very well could have been. um, As we go off next to a VTR, it's highlights from the April 27th, edited for time here on the Regional Wrestling Podcast, guys. But we're heading back to Augusta, where Tommy Rich defeats Harley Race for the NWA World title. We're going to hear comments from Gordon Soli, Tommy Rich, and Jim Crockett.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, we might do, gentlemen. We might just take a look. Uh, let's journey to Augusta, the three of us and, uh, and all of you, and we'll take a look at this match as it took place. Uh, and uh, there we see, of course, the man who has uh, now uh, regained the World Championship for his sixth time which indeed could be a record, too. I believe that is the record for holding the NWA championship. All right, here we are in Augusta, April 27th, last Monday night, and it's uh, Tommy Rich uh, with a beautiful takedown. Uh, you were wrestling against the world's finest and certainly uh, uh, one of the most uh, uncannily intelligent men I've ever known.
5: Yes, sir. You know, that's exactly right. You know, Hard has wrestling... some time longer than myself you know he's got a lot more experience and and he's one tough. you know he's one tough man i've never i don't think i've wrestled anybody as tough as harley race and i mean that goes without saying or he wouldn't be the world heavyweight champion for as long as he has
0: Grace uh, continuing to press an advantage here, and Tommy, at this point, did you feel that perhaps uh, the tide was going against you?
5: Then, you know, right here, Gordon, you know, I, I, I was about half out, and, and you know, all I could hear, I could hear the people screaming and hollering, go, time to go, and uh, you know, it just makes you reach down and get a little bit more.
0: Uh, and things were now definitely beginning to look up for Tommy Rich.
5: That's right here, Gordon, the tide did start changing. And,
0: you know, I just, I, I don't
5: know where it come from, but I got a little extra, you know, the adrenaline got and I wasn't going to give up, you know, I just kept going and I wasn't going to quit.
0: And of course, uh, you got the news uh, Monday night, obviously, uh, with a tremendous time lag barrier and everything else. uh, This must have uh, uh, had, as you said earlier, quite a profound effect upon the people in Japan.
4: Well, it happened Monday night over here, but that was actually Tuesday afternoon in Japan when I heard about it. This
0: of course then caused uh, Jim Crockett to come hurrying back and in the process while you were flying back here to the United States, uh, suddenly the situation is reversed again. That's correct, correct, Gordon
5: here hardly had me down with a suplex and uh, you know I didn't, like i said gordon i don't know where where i was getting it at but i was reaching down and just every time they come all i could think of was kick out kick out
0: well tommy i think you typify so many of the the really the the young lions in professional uh, sports today
5: well that's right gordon you know harley when he gets you down he stays on you he ain't gonna he's not gonna give you no breathing and you know he he, he just hangs back and he waits for his chance and once he gets you he goes all the way with you and just like you know anything he can do to beat you. He's going to do it.
0: And again, he tried to set up with that high vertical supply. Again, a beautiful block by you. You countered him extremely well. Caught him with that vertical body block.
5: Right there, Gordon, he suddenly uh, suddenly I got behind him, and all I could think of was hitting that rope. And I, when I come off, he was looking around, and I caught him with a fist.
3: And he come over and handed me the belt right there is when I finally realized what had happened to Tommy Rich.
0: And it had happened indeed. Tommy Rich joining a very select few to ever win the World uh, NWA World Heavyweight Wrestling Championship. Well, let's just share this moment of ecstasy that you must be feeling right now. Just absolute uh, uh, joy. And you can hear that crowd. They're absolutely delirious. History being made. uh, uh, We're seeing it uh, as it was being made in Augusta, Georgia. The first time ever. The World Heavyweight Championship. Changing hands uh, in, uh, well, the home of the Masters and uh, many others. And there you see a very dejected uh, Harley Race, former World Heavyweight Champion. But the man, I think Mr. Crockett has proved uh, once again, though, that Harley race uh, is certainly an outstanding champion uh, there's certainly nothing to be taken away from that man
4: oh that's right he's a world-class wrestler but i think tommy rich has proved that he's in the same class with mr harley race and so that means, obviously, Tommy, that uh,
0: your number one sights are set on Harley Race once again.
5: Well, that's exactly right, Gordon. You know, and thing, I guess it makes me the proudest of all that I did come back to Georgia, and, I, and, you know, and I did win the belt right here in Georgia. And the people, you know, just like I've said, they've been behind me 100%. And all I can say is I hope I do get another chance at Harley Race, and when it's over, i walk out on top.
0: I feel very confident by the comments from uh, Mr. Jim Crockett, the president of the NWA, that that chance will uh, come in the very, very near future. Thanks so much.
4: What a schedule you've been under. Thank you, and Congratulations. Congratulations again. Thank
0: you very much. Thank you. Thank you. James Crockett, president of the NWA, and uh, Tommy Rich, Tommy Wildfire Rich.
1: We'll be back in a minute. So, Race going for his patented vertical sous play, but it's Tommy Rich sliding over to his feet, and the Fez press going to score the one, two, three. Is Tommy Rich commenting there that? He couldn't believe it himself. Even the fans seemed to not believe it. They were a little quiet compared to what you would have expected. Just didn't see it coming there in, in Augusta until Ron West raised the hand in victory, presenting Tommy Rich with that world title. And then the fans just explode once it's confirmed. I can't, it's, it's so funny to know you're in such a small town that this happens. You're, you're There's cheering, don't get me wrong, but there's a little bit of disbelief until they is this really happening? Now, that's only happened to me a couple of times in wrestling history, but uh, this is certainly one of them for the local fans, but I loved it. Loved seeing the video here. And then uh, Jim Crockett talking about the title change taking place on Monday night, which was already Tuesday in Japan. So Crockett gets word, flies back as quickly as he could. But by the time he returned here to the States, title had already switched back to Harley Race on Friday night. Now, Crockett then putting over Tommy Rich's potential to do it again, saying he's on the same level as Harley Race. And Wildfire says he's proud that he did it in Georgia because he loves the state of Georgia, the Georgia Peaches, and that he came back home to GCW and won the world title. And he's not done with race just yet or that world championship title. So he hopes to walk out once again, world champion down the line. And Tommy
2: Rich now announced as the
1: number one contender.
2: And, and if you're Ted DiBiase, what the hell are you saying at this point? <laughs> I'm sure he's saying a lot of things. But yeah. Again, back to Tommy Rich, this was the perfect thing to do. Barnett's been involved in the business for, what, 40 years at this point. He knew exactly what he was doing.
1: Yeah, Barnett's been around the world literally, and he certainly knows what he's doing, as you said. And uh, I thought this was great. I love this one-week history period. A lot of people just overlook this, and especially people that were born after this era, they always scoff, oh, then there was Tommy Rich. And, uh, you know, I know he has his detractors anyway. It's unfortunate because you just don't realize how over he was and how fitting this world, you know, it was a short title run and maybe deservedly so at this point. I don't know. I'm just happy that it happened. It's a very exciting moment in wrestling history, certainly for the Georgia fans and the people with cable TV.
2: Yeah, and this is just the continuation of what is probably Georgia Championship Wrestling's greatest year. And as
1: Gordon and Crockett both put over, This basically proves that this world title can change hands in any territory at any time in any city.
2: Yeah, so when they come to Columbus, Ohio, Willie, West Virginia, and Detroit, Michigan, the title could change hands. It's a good
1: way to boost, you know, just the fans' feelings. I remember back in the day going to the Richfield Coliseum, a large coliseum, by the way, way bigger than what would become the Gund Arena, Quiggin Loans Arena, you know, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse keeps changing names. But the Ritual Coliseum was a gigantic venue. And when they were still at their peak, the WWF, they drew in that building uh, plenty of fans. And so for years, I thought maybe there would be a title change. You never know. Of course, it was a house show and I was delusional, but it took a while. But I even, you know, even then as a kid, I, I fell in that eventually, oh, nothing happens on a house show. Nothing, nothing's going there. No, no title change is going to happen here. But, you know, they changed in the early 90s. They did a lot of that just to get people to come back to the houses. But it's like you said. I think some of these cities, these smaller cities, slowly were trained to learn that nothing big happens on, on in Augusta or Rome or, or Gainesville and things like that. And now it has. They can't say that anymore,
2: right? And within two years, Georgia's basically gone and forget about all those little towns. Right. Unfortunately,
1: true. Well, uh, they're off to bigger and bigger and better cities, I suppose.
2: Hey, while you speak of the Bridgefield um, Coliseum, yeah. Isn't that where the first Survivor Series took place since you were in 1987 in another world?
1: Yeah, first two uh, Survivor Series and 92. Yeah, 87, okay, 88,
2: so 92. Three of them there, because they could probably pack more in that, that place than most uh, of the modern stadiums, I guess, at that point.
1: Yeah, I think I think Bruce Pritchard has told the story. I'm not sure who was in charge of that, booking the uh, venues back then. I don't know if it was Basil DeVito or someone else, but whoever it was, was friends with the guy who was the person who rented out those a specific group of arenas, and Richfield Coliseum was one of those, so they would repeatedly suggest that to them, and so that's why they rolled with it repeatedly there early on.
2: Yeah, I remember the Flyers playing the Cleveland Barons in the Richfield Coliseum. Yeah, that's
1: it. Cleveland Barons back in the day. Yeah, for one sir. season.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, I miss the old Coliseum. It's been demolished for many years now. Closed down, I think, in 94, beginning of 95, something like that.
2: Yeah, most of all the old places are gone.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, As we roll on, though, here back in 81, Georgia Championship Wrestling and the National Tag Team Champions in the ring, Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts at the Freebirds, scoring a win here over Mike Davis and Frank Sherman in seven minutes after some Freebird Fantasia shenanigans, if you will. Buddy Roberts has the referee's attention in the corner, fighting with Mike Davis, Meanwhile, Terry Gordy has Sherman set up for a pile driver as the illegal third bird, Michael Hayes, comes off the top rope for a spike pile driver, aiding Gordy, dropping Sherman on his head. Misstime spot. Hayes kind of lands long before the pile driver actually connects, but the damage still done here. Continuing to remind everyone how dangerous three free birds can
2: truly be. And Mike Davis continues his feud. Of eight months with the Freebirds. At least once a month, he was in a match with the Freebirds. (laughs) Maybe they liked Mike Davis. They they should have made him the fourth (laughs) Freebird if they were smart. (laughs) How could you not? I mean, the guy impersonated
1: Dusty Rhodes for a week or two before, you know, that got canned. And, I mean, he he flew into outer space on a bungee cord, brought back a moon rock and global. This guy did everything.
2: Yeah. So why not? He could have been the fourth Freebird. He's a better choice than that Austin Idol was. First wrestler in outer space since Frank Hickey.
1: (laughs) Unbelievable. What references here on the regional wrestling podcast? I hope like three people pop for that anyway.
2: Oh uh, uh, no, there's there's more people <laughs> not popping for this stuff, right?
1: Uh we're gonna go on though. Gordon Soli announces the next OmniCart upcoming later this month before he's interrupted by some uninvited guests.
0: Certainly the Wrestling Spectacular of the Year is upcoming at the Omni, and that will be on Sunday, May 17th at 8 p.m. That's Sunday, May 17th at 8 p.m. at the Omni. Uh, Tony Atlas has vacated the Georgia Heavyweight Championship in a round-robin tournament with $5,000 plus the belt will go to the winners. Here are the uh, men who have entered the Georgia Heavyweight Championship Tournament. The contenders are the American Dream. The American Dream. Iron Mike Sharp, Mr. Wrestling 2, Tommy Wildfire Rich, Ray Candy, Bruiser Brody, Greg Valentine, Ken Patera, Mike Boyer, and Bill Irwin, plus... In a no disqualification, no time limit match, it will be the fabulous Freebirds against uh, Ted DiBiase and the Junkyard Dog. Steve O, the national heavyweight champion, returns. He'll be defending his title against Bobby Eaton. Ricky Gibson takes on the Angel. Robert Gibson takes on Brian St. John. Tickets are available at all seats locations, the Omni and the Sports Arena, open nine till five daily. So the 17th of May, a very, very critical time, is going to be a wrestling spectacle. Why don't you just shut up and let me talk? Let me tell
6: you something. This place may be beautiful, but I feel nasty. Because we've been up all night long. And all we've been thinking about is getting nastier and hurting somebody just like we did that punk. No disqualification is right up our alley. That is our pet thing. No tournament. We're not in a tournament because we don't like rules. We like doing whatever we want, and that's just how we'll hurt you again, D-B-I-C. But as far as that tournament, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take our 10 grand, and I'm going to throw it in the kitty, baby, and watch the wolves go after the money. Any of you, even you, Dusty Rhodes, any of you, 10 grand to
1: hurt Tommy Rich and get him off my back. So we learned that Tony Atlas has indeed vacated that Georgia heavyweight title and a single elimination tournament is planned for the Omni upcoming featuring, listen to this, it's a who's who, guys. Wildfire Tommy Rich and Dusty Rose, the first two names out of the gate, both former NWA world champions in this tournament. Plus, listen, man, it just keeps going. Ken Patera, Bruiser Brody, Greg Valentine, Iron Mike Sharp, uh, Mr. Wrestling 2, Ray Candy. And then Mike Boyer and Bill Irwin fill it in. but uh, Plus, that's not all, guys. A no-time-limit, no-disqualification return match as the fabulous Freebirds take on Ted DiBiase and the Junkyard Dog. If that wasn't all, national heavyweight champion Steve O returning from Japan to defend his title against Bobby Eaton. More on that when we get to that Omni show later in the month of May. Plus, the Gibson brothers will be in singles competition. Ricky Gibson taking on the French Angel, while brother Robert Gibson taking on Brian St. John coming in from the Florida Territory. What do you make of this card, the Georgia Heavyweight title, not vacant for long?
2: Yeah, this this card is packed, and I would imagine they had to draw very good, uh, if not sell this one out completely. I mean, the, the Freebird-DiBiase match, they don't even need the Georgia tournament on the show. No. No time limit, no DQ. That could have been the main event, and you could have just mishmashed some other matches together. And you can weed out some
1: of the names of the tournament, a Bill Irwin, certainly Mike Boyer, no knock on Mike Boy yet, but I, I mean, I love his, his fun stuff in mid South. And I wish I could have seen his Gulf coast stuff, the stuff he did, you know, uh, in Mississippi as well and things, but just looking at some of the names like that, iron Mike sharp. I never understood the pushes that they, they he got at times in mid South or places like that. But man, you start looking at the upper echelon in this tournament and you wonder how are these guys going to be eliminated? Some of the matchups, potentially here. Greg Valentine, Bruiser Brody, Ken Patera, and Dusty Rhodes and Tommy Rich. Of course, everyone knows those names here in the territory for certain. So just a hell of a card. And like you said, you didn't even need any of that. You already got the return match. No disqualification. There's going to be a winner. The Birds versus DiBiase and Dog. What a card. And then Gordon, he barely gets out of that next Omni card lineup, scheduled for May the 17th, by the way, before he's interrupted by Michael Hayes, and of course, Michael Hayes, I couldn't believe it. The first words out of his mouth, cutting Gordon solely off. Shut up. I wonder how Gordon took that. I wrote, wow, because you always know Gordon takes these things a little too seriously at times, always spoken to on TV. Uh, but Hayes says he may be beautiful, but he's also nasty. And the birds were up all night. Insert your cocaine jokes here, guys. Free birds up all night figuring out how to get even nastier with Ted DiBiase in that return match May the 17th, they don't play by the rules. They like to do things no DQ, so that's why they didn't enter the Georgia Heavyweight Title Tournament, yet somehow they were in the Tag Team Title Tournament, but I guess we'll just move on from that. In fact, knowing that Tommy Rich is in the tournament, Michael Hayes offers to put up the $10,000 bounty that he has on Rich into that tournament, meaning anyone who can take Tommy out during the tourney will get Michael Hayes' ten grand on top of potentially winning the title and that additional $5,000 tournament prize. And that even includes Dusty Rhodes as a potential bounty
2: collector. They're planting seeds. Will Dusty do the deed? Hey, you might as well, because now Tommy Rich is impeding on the popularity of Dusty Rhodes. Another reason which that title reign had to be hush-hush, because no way Dusty's going to allow that to happen. Right. So uh, <laughs> he's a top star on TBS. Whether he's there or not, every week. Whether he's, he's there, a there or not, top right?
1: Store. That's right.
2: So Michael Hayes
1: uh, basically throwing his ten thousand dollars into the pot, trying to make give the tournament even an extra uh, oomph, if you will. Here, so now not only do we have the Georgia Heavyweight Title Tournament upon us, a new champion going to be crowned, but there's a storyline within the tournament that is someone going to take out Tommy Rich on the way to the finals. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. As the show goes on, it's Ted DiBiase in the ring scoring a win here over Gypsy Joe with a figure four leg lock in just three minutes. And during the matchup, DiBiase's wound from the Omni, his forehead wound, where he had uh, bladed from that steel post shot on the outside from Hayes, uh, it reopens uh, uh, during this match. So DiBiase actually bleeding during this match, and we get the blue dot of doom over the face of DiBiase. As we head off to a promo now, Gordon Sully standing by with the man himself. Here's Ted DiBiase.
0: May me get uh, Ted over here for just a moment or two and talk to him because we do have some other things to talk about. Ted, first of all, uh, congratulations. I think Gypsy Joe has uh, proven to be one of the toughest in the profession today. Very tough, Gordon. you can see,
7: this laceration on my head has opened up again. It's a very deep cut. And Hayes, just one more thing. One more thing that I've got to think about concerning you. Gordon, I understand
0: you got a VTR. Right. We're going to go That's to the What happened last time? Precisely. Let's do that at this point in time. Let's move back to the Omni and uh, to take a look at the situation as it occurred. And uh, as you catch your breath, Ted, uh, feel perfectly free to uh, lend your comments. Well, Gordon, well, I hit the ring that night in the Omni,
7: I was one fired up man. I was like a racehorse in the start gate getting ready to come out. And I was going to let everything loose because I had a long time to sit and think about what these people tried to do to me. They didn't try just to beat me they tried to end my wrestling career right here he tried to run me into that post i came around and hit him and i realized i looked down i saw the blood i saw michael hayes and it just i went crazy right here gordon i just lost all control of myself It was like you've heard of temporary insanity well that's why i felt right there if i got my hands on him i was gonna do some serious damage and now i'm getting a couple of shots on him right there he was in trouble here gordon he was in desperate trouble because he was in the ring right there with two men that he has hurt badly in wrestling. A few men
0: that wanna do some damage to him. I was gonna try and break his legs right here, Gordon. Well, I can certainly understand the deep-seated feelings that you have and uh, certainly uh, those of the Junkyard Dog as well because he, too, has felt the, uh, the pain of injury from uh, the fabulous Freebirds. I'd like to right now take a moment to remind all of you once again, of course, that uh, championship wrestling returns to the Omni in Atlanta on May 17th at 8 p.m. That'll be Sunday, May 17th, and there will be a Georgia Heavyweight Championship title tournament night. $5,000 going to the winner plus the Georgia Heavyweight Championship belt, and those contenders who have already entered are Dusty Rhodes, Iron Mike Sharp, Mr. Wrestling 2, Tommy Wildfire Rich, Ray Candy, Bruiser Brody, over 320 pounds. In addition, Greg Valentine, Ken Patera, uh, Mike Boyer, Bill Irwin, and many, many more. And, of course, uh, obviously, uh, the gentleman who's with me right now, Ted DiBiase and the Junkyard Dog. No time limit, no disqualification against the fabulous Freebirds. Gordon, this is what I've
7: been waiting for. You know, I heard Michael Hayes out here. I heard you running your mouth, Hayes,
0: saying that no
7: disqualification matches are your kind of match and how you were up all night last night and you feel nasty you stayed up all night thinking about what you could do to me well Hayes I stayed up all night for five weeks thinking about you and I went through a lot of pain and a lot of agony first recovering from the neck injury and then getting this neck back in the shape it needs to be in to get in that ring and that's a long time Hayes That's a long time to think about a man who tried to end your wrestling career, and that's how long I've been thinking about you. Well now the rule book is out the window. You know, you got another shot at me, you put a few more stitches in his head, well Hayes, if I had to do that 50 more times I'd do it, because each time I get a little bit closer to you, and I know Hayes, I know that you're thinking about it. I had you down last time. I was that far from blocking that figure four on your body and breaking your leg. Each time it gets a little bit closer. Well, this time, Hayes, there's no rules. Once we get by those two goons of yours, I can pick you up and I can drop you on your head five times, six times, ten times, whatever it takes. And then I can put that figure four on you when you're unconscious and break your leg. Hayes, I'm going to do it.
1: So there it was, and you guys can't see it here. I believe it's on YouTube, though, so go check out. Look for this episode, May the 2nd, of Georgia Championship Wrestling. A blue square... Digitally placed over the face of Ted DiBiase to hide the blood uh, for this promo here. Uh, DiBiase calling Gypsy Joe a tough opponent and talks the deep laceration on his head being reopened during that matchup there just moments ago. Though it seems par for the course in any Gypsy Joe match I've ever seen, if you ask me anyway. We do get a VTR from the last Omni show at that point. It was the Birds, Gordy and Roberts taking on JYD and DiBiase. In Teddy's return match from the four-pile driver's angle, we see Hayes with cheap shots on DiBiase repeatedly during the match, even sending him into that steel post, which caused the gash. Now, DiBiase then snaps after seeing his blood from the steel post shot courtesy of Hayes, and it leads to a no-contest. With Gordy and Roberts then down on the outside of the ring, Teddy loses it. He calls it temporary insanity here in this promo as Michael Hayes tries to run away from DiBiase, He's caught by the Junkyard Dog, and Ted DiBiase finally gets his hand on that sissy, Mr. Purely Sexy Hayes. And the tables turn briefly for Michael Hayes here as the numbers work against the Freebirds. For once, it's two-on-one. Dog and DiBiase against Michael Hayes. All alone in the ring, Teddy looking to lock in that figure-four leg lock to break the leg of Michael Hayes. But the other Freebirds recover and run distraction just long enough
2: for Hayes to escape the ring and the freebirds fly the coop. And now we're nine months in, and nobody still has conquered the freebirds. Just, Just when they thought done. they had Hayes where they wanted him, gonna break his leg, and then Boom, all... he escapes. Yeah, but that... how about that blue that blue dot over how... top of DiBiase's face? How about that blue dot? <laughs> look, look, look at Jim Barnett. Will spare no expense. <laughs> To do things properly. Look, he gets t- Who knows how much money he slid Harley Reese for the title? And now, instead of just putting a simple red X across the screen, how much could that have cost them? He actually pays the big bucks for the blue dot. Yeah, the blue so digital
1: dot that moves around with the head. Yeah, absolutely amazing.
2: Like you said, Ted Turner too. And, and they only had five or six hours to deal with that. Right. Sure. They they because, had to get something in there. But they they tape at eight or nine in the morning. And then well, they got to turn, ra- turn around and edit it by the time it comes on at 6. Well, Turner, you know, I mean,
1: he's, he's busy, you know, colorizing 8 million movies at that point. So they have a whole office of, of editing equipment, I guess. Very maybe, true. Yeah, ran that in there. Hey, we need. I know you guys are busy uh, colorizing Casablanca right now, but uh, we need you guys to uh, do a little blue dot of doom here over Ted DiBiase's face. And that blue square, I had to laugh because it reminds me of a story involving Christian. Have you ever heard Christian and the blue dot story in the WWF?
2: No, but I thought you were going to talk about the uh, Mr. Sluggo oh, from Mr. Bill. That's where I thought you were going. <laughs> or, or what? What was the name of the uh, the guys in uh, in Gumby that were the blockhead bad guys? The blockheads. They were the blockheads. Yeah. Oh, the blockhead. That's where yeah. I thought you were going. But
1: uh, okay, go ahead. Anyway, I'm sorry. No, there's this, there's an old story. I think I think it was Rich Pritchard who t- told the story years ago. But I, I've heard it from a couple of people actually. It, it involved Christian and Vince McMahon just finding Christian. Physically unappealing. Oh, oh my God, pal. This guy looks, his face is disgusting. He looks like a rodent. And I guess once upon a time, Vince's idea for a gimmick for Christian was to push him to some degree, but always have a blue dot over his face to hide how ugly his face was. This guy was so ugly. He didn't wear a mask, but but the the TV sensors would actually put a a blue dot over Christian's face. That was a Vince McMahon idea at one point that uh, obviously fell
2: through. I've never heard that one, but I could definitely see Vince doing it.
1: <laughs> so I'm sure that had to make Christian feel really good the first time he heard that one. My boss thinks <laughs> I'm atrocious looking. I, I can see where I'm going in this company.
2: No wonder he walked away more than once.
1: Luckily, his talent shined through and you know, he he wound up reaching a certain level that I, I think he, he deserved.
2: Yeah, hey, he eventually got a version of their world title, so
1: good for yeah, him. I'll take it. Uh, That leads us to the rematch, though, here between the Freebirds, Dog, and DiBiase guys. No time limit, no disqualification. The Omni, May the 17th. Hayes says he stayed up all night thinking about what they can do to DiBiase next time out. Well, Teddy here in this promo, he said he's been up for five weeks waiting for revenge. Five weeks. Wow. That's a lot of coke. So uh, DiBiase, though, (laughs) prepared for revenge on the fabulous Freebirds. Well, that's because he was sitting in the room with the Freebirds doing the coat. <laughs> that's very well, very well could be true. As the show continues on, we hear, we haven't heard from him in quite a while either. He's actually out here promoting the upcoming appearance of Bruiser Brody as we hear from Big Jim Duggan.
0: You know, I've heard a lot of talk uh, recently, and of course, we saw Bruiser Brody in action last week, and it just turns out to be that. Uh, big Jim Duggan here happens to be uh, a reasonably close friend of uh, Bruiser Brody. That's right, that's right. I'm really getting questioned the intelligence of the people down south, messing
3: my name all up all the time. I've been down here two or three months and they're still messing it up. But I want to question their intelligence in a, in a very short time when a good friend of mine comes down. That's Mr. Bruiser Brody, the most impressive professional athlete that I have ever met in my career, bar none. Joe Green, any professional football player, any professional wrestler you people mess up brody's name and you'll see what happens just take a look at this little
0: tape we brought along here i'll tell you what we're going to do at this point in time then let's take a look at uh, bruiser brody in action i think you'll see exactly what mr Duggan is referring to now drives him into the turnbuckle. Now watch the sudden explosive power of this man, Brody. All of a sudden. And he drives uh, uh, Schaefer to the canvas and uh, again continues uh, his punishment on uh, this man. Of course, the match did continue. But the other interesting aspect of this, as we're going to see right now, is that uh, when it all came down to the very end, Brody resorted back to basic wrestling.
3: Sure, he's got, he's got a great, great uh, background as an amateur wrestler. He can do anything. But when he, he gets loses his temper, what can you say?
0: And here we're seeing it as uh, Brody continues to uh, punish his man, the closing moments. But now watch here. From a snap mare that uh, drives that knee into the chest. Now as he moves on his man, very quickly back to the basics, double hooks the legs, goes into a full Boston crab. So going back to the basics of wrestling, using that, uh, he has certainly proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he not only has the great physical attributes that we're talking about, uh, but he has the great skill and knowledge of the sport and there you can see him uh, walking from side to side uh, cooling himself down if you will but uh, certainly all, all I can say about this man uh, he's a friend of yours uh, if you two tag up it's going to create a lot of problems for a lot of people well I've been anxious for him
3: to come down here I've been listening to all this talk all this music all kinds of things going on Diviase, Tommy Rich well when Bruiser Brody gets down here there may be a little more than a little scab on some people's nose he may do a little bit more damage than that if you know what I mean Thank you so very
0: much, Big Jim Duggan. We'll be back in a moment.
1: So there it was, Duggan questioning the fans' intelligence down south who can't seem to get his name right. It's not Duggan. That's Duggan. Two Gs, tough guy. Duggan putting over his good friend Bruiser Brody coming to town from there. We get a VTR from St. Louis at the chase. Bruiser Brody scoring a win over Ed Schaefer there with a Boston Crab, proving that Brody can not only just brawl, but he can also wrestle when he needs to. So uh, there it is, Hacksaw Jim Duggan being used to put over his good buddy, Bruiser Brody, coming to the territory.
2: And in the future, he's going to do a full Brody imitation. But as for Duggan, this is probably his best interview since he's been on Georgia Championship Wrestling. They must be giving him a lot of mic time on the Columbus show because he's improved vastly since he started back in February.
1: I was wondering uh, that maybe he was working some uh, localized promos for another city or something like that, because he's very well-spoken. He's not hacksaw Jim Duggan yet. We're not getting those promos, but as far as what he's saying, it's very articulate and uh, which is crazy to think with Jim Duggan, but no, I mean, everything he's saying is making sense. He's putting together things and he's still learning on the go, obviously, but he's certainly come a long way in in just a few months time.
2: And it's a good person and Brody to uh, attach him
1: to. Uh show rolls on from there. This is, this cracked me up when I saw this. Freddie Miller stops by to announce all of the upcoming cards for the next few weeks, all of the shows, everywhere we're headed here in Georgia. And boy, he does not shit around <laughs> again. I laughed just thinking about it. Freddie Miller, he hits his points. We're in Rome, Georgia this day. We're then here this day. We're in here. Talladega, Alabama literally runs through the lineup and then runs off camera, runs off camera. I mean, talk about not trying to waste any time here on TV. Freddie Miller does his job and gets the hell out of there. Do
2: you have any idea how long Freddie was on TBS? Does he go back Ooh, to the uh, to the wrestling war? You know, I did a lot of
1: research on Freddie several years ago and it's just kind of laid dormant and I don't remember. I'm sure if I just pulled up my Freddie Miller notes. Yes, I, yes guys, I have Freddie Miller notes. Um I'm sure if I pulled them up I would have an answer for you pretty fast, but unfortunately I don't have them on this laptop, so I can't pull them up that fast. But that's a good question. Uh Freddie Miller was uh how long he had been there. I feel like he'd been there for quite a while. Freddie Miller lasted the test of time because you talk about, you know, the black Saturday taking over with the WWF and and
2: beyond from there. Yeah. He stays around a good year or two into the WWF run. So he was, I'm going to say he was probably a TBS employee, not so much a, a Georgia championship wrestling employee.
1: I think that's what it was. He worked for the station more so than the actual company. Yeah. But Freddie clearly loved professional wrestling, loved being around it and a part of it and just doing what little he, you know, could do do with a Sunday show and plugging these events and things. So it
2: was always cool. Always loved Freddie Miller. Be there. And you look forward to hearing that every Saturday because you knew what you were watching when you heard it. That's right. As the show
1: rolls on, we're going to finish up our number one here of Georgia TV, Mr. Wrestling two, defeating Ken Timms, Ken trying to shift Mr. Wrestling two's mask try to blind him there to gain an advantage, but it only pisses off the already grumpy number two and the million dollar knee lift time. Going to get the win four minutes and 45 seconds. You don't mess with mes- Mr. Two's mask. He's made that clear in the past.
2: And you know that that knee lift had a little <laughs> extra oomph in it. <laughs> this you, don't screw with this, but you don't screw with the mask. I mean, especially enhancement talent. You don't screw with the mask. I mean, look, look how Dougie got punished. When he came off the top <laughs> rope with the knee, the flying knee lift. Right yeah, there, you go. And uh, we're
1: gonna—we w- haven't got there yet. It's later in the show, but we're gonna see Ken Tim's brother Ed Tim's in action, and something similar takes place there. And we'll touch on that when we get there. But here we are, the end of hour one, and as we're reminded that beginning next week, listen to this one, Jamie. The Saturday night programming will change from six oh five to five thirty p.m., and the Sunday Best of show will also change from 6.05 to 5.30. I wrote, at this time, I wrote, before I did my research with the IWL, I wrote, baseball-related? question mark. Perhaps I'll have a little more on this before we finish today's program. But uh, the story uh, that I see, and it could very well be true, uh, short-term anyway, is the IWL wind up having TV at 5.30 p.m. leading into Georgia, not on TBS, but still, it seems odd that the minute they get TV... The GCW changes their time. It's kind of like the uh, the old Raw Nitro war, where they kept pushing the time back a few minutes to start right, a little earlier. Exactly. It's uh, it's kind of crazy to think was that really the reason? Because I, when I first did this, I just assumed, yeah, baseball. But uh, maybe maybe there's some merit to that whole thing.
2: And they probably weren't really worried about the threat of the IWL. I mean, it's Thunderbolt Patterson, after all. I mean, stuff I've heard about him over the years, but. You don't want to take any chances. So uh, if you can make a slight adjustment and everybody's happy with it, make the adjustment.
1: Yeah. I just thought it was funny because it's not even Turner time. They're not going to five They're going to five thirty, exactly when the IWL show show would start. Very interesting. Anyway, something to think about guys. And we'll talk more about the IWL here in just a little bit, but first we'll close out this uh, episode of TV in action in the ring. Now it's Robert Gibson scoring a win over Bobby Garrett with the Gibson leg lock. Always love that move. Scores the pinfall in 7 minutes and 45 seconds. A bit long for a squash. But uh, Bobby Garrett holds his own here. Has Gibson in trouble. They have a fun little TV match. Robert Gibson picks up the win. That's followed up by our first, at least to my recollection, our first promo from Robert Gibson. And I actually grabbed the audio from that initially, Jamie. But for the first part, the crowd's so loud, I don't know why, that you can't really hear Gibson. And by the time you can... It just sounds like a bunch of mumbling. Now, I thought maybe it was the audio, but Gordon Soley comes through just fine. So really, it was just Gibson's promo, kind of mumbling his words, and I really couldn't understand anything. There was really no point in playing the audio here for anybody, but Gibson does talk about playing by the rules, at least according to Gordon, and uh, more mention of brother Ricky Gibson, who is also on his way to the territory.
2: Yeah, I mean, Gibson's only been in the business two or three years at this point, if that I think he probably hasn't had at least by 77. Okay. So, well, four years. He's always been teaming with his brother up recent times. So his brother's probably been handling all the interview stuff, and he hasn't had a chance. Uh, Much much like Duggan, you got to start somewhere. You got to start getting those interviews in, just like Bobby Eaton also. What a parallel five years later, four or five years later, with Robert Gibson and Bobby Eaton. They're going to be two of the biggest stars on TBS within four years.
1: Yeah, you look at all these guys. Uh, maybe they didn't get their start here. Maybe they didn't cut their teeth here, per se, initially. But uh, these these early years are very important to be able to get this time is is important to what they will wind up becoming down the line.
2: And this is probably why, possibly, his work here is why Bill Watts brings the Rock and Roll Express in. I, I know they were part of the big trade, but that's probably why he took Robert Gibson in the tree because he already had some experience with them through this short run in in Georgia.
1: Yeah. The Gibson boys. Uh, So uh, the show rolls on and after making the trip all the way from Japan to Atlanta, did you really think he'd only get one promo and Jim Crockett returns for the second time tonight.
0: It's certainly a pleasure to have back with us at this particular time the president of the National Wrestling Alliance, the oldest and largest uh, sanctioning body of professional wrestling the world over, Mr. Jim Crockett. Jim, uh, where does this put Tommy now in regards to the world title?
4: Well, I would say that it makes Tommy the number number one contender for the world's belt. Well, he, of course, uh, had a short reign as the world heavyweight champion, but it really puts in a very elite group now. A very, very elite group. Uh, very few men have held the world's championship belt. I mean, we go back to Ed Strangler, Lewis, and the Funks, and the Briscoes, uh, Gene Koniski, and Tommy Rich's name goes down with uh, these gentlemen as the world's champion. Uh, Certainly no question about that. Plus, I think it has to say a lot, too, for the tenacity and the determination of Harley Race, who is once again the world champion. Yes, uh, Harley now has held the belt six different times. That's more than anybody else has ever done. I think it also speaks well of the caliber, caliber of wrestling you have here in Georgia. That uh, Tommy Rich has met uh, many top contenders here, and this has helped Tommy and uh, groomed him to be the champion. Certainly, we want to take our opportunity right now to thank uh, Jim Crockett, who just flew in from Japan on a
0: very, very busy schedule, for taking time out to be with us today. It's a pleasure to have him along. We have a matchup coming, so let's turn it over to our ring announcer.
1: So there it is Crockett confirming after his brief but recent title win that Tommy Rich is indeed. Now the number one contender to Harley Race's NWA title, so Ric Flair getting bumped out of that number one contender spot, at least here in Georgia. Gordon Soley says while the reign was short, Tommy Rich is now in a very elite group. Crockett says Rich's name now goes down in history with Strangler Lewis, the Funks, Gene Kaniski, and the Briscoes. I wrote Prisco's plural? I don't remember Jerry ever being world champion, but they talk about the tenacity of Harley Race who has now held the world title more than anyone else. They also talk about the caliber of wrestlers here in the Georgia territory, with Rich competing against them each and every night, essentially groomed Tommy for the moment to become the World Heavyweight Champion, putting over all the talent here that made Tommy a better wrestler,
2: enabled him to become the world champion. Yeah, and he has faced the who's who his entire time in Georgia. He he begins in that tag team with Rick Martell, progresses on with Tony Atlas as a partner and the unlimited amount of heels that he worked with that, that helped teach him along the way. And and I'm sure even, even Tommy would tell you that if not for that early experience, uh, he probably would have never gotten the push to the belt. It's just so funny that this unplanned or unknown
1: world title change. Uh, At the beginning of the week, you know, Jim Crockett had no idea what was going on. And by the end of the week, the title had changed twice. Crockett comes back from Japan, and now he's cutting multiple interviews here on uh, Georgia TV. It's just, it's funny to see how this whole thing plays out. And
2: he probably loved it because
1: how often did Jim Crockett
2: appear on television? Yeah, especially
1: outside of his own territory.
2: Exactly. And he, this is the most notable thing that happens during his tenure, I believe.
1: Yeah, and he's the most notable, you know, uh, figurehead. He gets to play figurehead president rather than just promoter Jim Crockett of the Mid-Atlantic territory here in Georgia. He's big man on campus, if you will.
2: Right. Exactly. Perfect analogy. He's big man on campus for right now. So the show continues on. How about this for some
1: TV, guys? Ted and Jerry Oates teaming up to take on the national tag team champions. Fabulous Freebirds, Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts and the national tag titles. Are on the line. And it is indeed the Oates brothers. Ted and Jerry scoring the win over the Freebirds on a disqualification. The closing moments see Jerry Oates hot tagged in as he runs wild on both Gordy and Roberts before it breaks down into a four-way melee. The birds trying for that illegal assistance again from Michael Hayes. We saw it earlier, and they're trying it again in this second bout of the night. Roberts brawling with Jerry Oates this time in the corner, distracting the referee. And Gordy this time trying the pile driver on Ted Oates. With Michael Hayes, we saw it earlier on the show, climbing to the top rope again for another spike pile driver, perhaps to put Ted away for good. But Jerry Oates breaks free of Buddy Roberts, rushing over to aid his brother Ted, just in time, tossing Hayes off the top rope into the ring. Now, the Freebirds, they do the numbers game here, and it does catch up to the Oates brothers' three on two beatdown taking Jerry and Ted out. However, the Oats brothers will pick up the DQN. Match only went about five minutes, 15 seconds, but the Oats, they try and hold their own against the Freebirds, who finally bail at the end of the matchup. Uh, fun little continuity here, though. Birds trying the same exact spot that they got away with earlier in the night, only it didn't work here against the Oats boys.
2: Right, and this isn't the first time they work with the Oats boys on television. I believe right. it, it was the same result the last time the Freebirds... Got disqualified. So, But it, it's a good team to go up against the Freebirds. This, game, this match had been in, in Columbus. The oh Oats God. probably would have won the belt. Hanging from the rafters, as Gorilla would say. <laughs> the SRO
1: signs went out early for that one. Oh, my God. The Oats and the Freebirds in Columbus. I wonder if they ever booked
2: that. That could have been a one-match show. I don't remember seeing that. No, I, I mean, I just remember seeing they wrestled on TV at least one other time. And that was a DQ. But, yeah when we go over those results, I don't remember them uh, meeting in Columbus anyway.
1: So show continues on. They just, well, they lost the match on a DQ here as Michael Hayes and company head over to speak with Gordon Soley for another Freebirds promo.
0: Michael Hayes for interference is disqualified. And as it should be, the official and a good call on that one for sure. Oh, who says it's a good call? You say it's a good call. I say, oh, her,
6: that's good enough for me. Stand, that's good enough for me. And what else is good enough for me? Is a no
0: disqualification match. A match for anybody. Well, Sunday, May 17th at the Omni in Atlanta. You're going to get that one. No time limit, no disqualification. No time limit. That means we can do it all night long.
6: And you know I'm good at doing things all night long. Sometimes I've been faced with situations. Well, I ain't even done with tonight, you know what I'm talking about. But come on the, there on the 17th. We can do it all night long any way we want to. And the way I like to do it is hot and nasty. That's what I like about Fantasia it's hot, it's nasty. You know what makes me mad? When I drive down a Georgia highway and see somebody from Columbus, Ohio driving on the same highway. In fact, it makes me mad when I see somebody from Georgia driving on the same highway. And when I think about Georgia, I think about Tommy Rich. And that's why... I'm... Now, see, this is what you got in Georgia. $10,000 for anybody. Money is the root of all evil. I know it. Because that's how I make it. With evil ways. And Dusty Rhodes can be bought. Can Patera, Bruce or Brody, there's a lot of guys there that would like to make not only the Georgia Championship, not only the 5,000 that Georgia Championship Wrestling put up, but $10,000 of Fantasia money to hurt, to annihilate, to get rid of Tommy Rich. And it's far.
1: All right, so that was cut short. That wasn't my fault. That was just the existing audio uh, from that promo there. But Michael Hayes uh, solely says the referee's decision was a good call against the Freebirds and the Oats boys picking up the win. But Hayes says the Oats brothers are hurt, which was good enough for him. And then back to talking that no DQ, no time limit rematch versus JYD and DiBiase. No time limit means the birds can do it all night long, hot and nasty all night long. And they are good. At doing things all night long, Jamie. I wrote, hmm, lots of cocaine and sex references this week.
2: Do you think that's where Rob Schneider steals that line? What was that in the uh, the Longest Yard remake? He parlayed he, that into multiple movies. Yeah, okay, maybe he does, but he says it just like Michael Hayes said, <laughs> We can do it all night long. Uh, who
1: knows? Who knows? Somebody'd have to ask Rob Schneider that, and I don't know if he'd even admit to it anyway, but perhaps he owes Michael Hayes some, you know, some. Uh, residuals i'm not sure but uh it's, it's a good call but it's just i love these promos they're clearly referencing certain things here so i just i had to mark out at all the uh the ridiculous nonsense going on here and i i mean that in a good way michael hayes reiterating putting up that 10 grand and that fantasia money is that like code word for cocaine money i don't know at this point but uh hayes gonna can put I up use that-,
2: that if i'm playing monopoly do you think <laughs> i can get like, like a money? hotel
1: or something with put some Fantasia money? I wonder if if Fantasia Money inflates over time. Curious how that works with, with uh, Freebirds Fantasia Money. But the ten grand, it's going into that junior or Georgia heavyweight title tournament to anyone who can take out the wildfire Tommy Rich and anyone can be bought. Once again, reiterating, yes, Bruiser
2: Brody, Kimbatera, but also Dusty Rhodes. That would be great. That would have been the angle, turned dusty heel, but again, this is Dusty Show. And he will do anything he can probably to keep Tommy down going forward. Would have been
1: interesting. Uh, I would have liked to have seen that, honestly, see what they would have could have done with that. But Dusty wasn't going to turn himself heel at this point. But just really fun stuff here throughout the show. Michael Hayes, you know, doing what he does best in these promos. Apparently very hot and nasty this week. And uh, up all night. I have no doubt about that. I believe that's that part of the uh, promo is true anyway. As we head back to the ring, wildfire Tommy Rich stepping into the ring now. Going to take on Chick Donovan. Good to see Chick Donovan in the area here. Tommy scoring the pinfall with the Thez Press in five minutes' time. And then from there, we follow Tommy over to Gordon Soley for another promo. Tommy said he didn't know whether to wrestle or dance with Chick Donovan. Obviously referencing Donovan's look, if you will. From there, he refers to Chick as a sissy, uh, much like Michael Hayes is a sissy. Rich comments on the $10,000 bounty that Hayes has now put into that Georgia title tournament. Tommy says he's sure a lot of people in that tournament all want to get their hands on him. He doesn't believe that Dusty Rhodes would ever turn on the wildfire, but with 10 grand involved, you don't know what will happen. At the end of the day, Tommy Rich says Michael Hayes can send everyone after the wildfire. It's because Tommy will remain a thorn in Hayes' side. Rich not worried about all the people Hayes is sending at him. Tommy, dead eyes set, I'm getting to that Michael Hayes, as is the dog, as is Ted DiBiase. Yeah, there's two other Freebirds, but Michael Hayes better watch out at this point. Gordon Sully then reminding us of the recent fines laid down to the Freebirds. It was five grand for the DiBiase injury, another five grand for the blinding of the dog. Again, Uh, we learned that the hair cream has been confiscated. Thank God. it's Confiscated by the NWA and its contents are now analyzed, Jamie. Wow, that's some high tech shit for 1981. We also see a VTR of Rich and Dog going over on the birds from several weeks ago that led to the dog being semi-blinded. You have your own take. Did he trip? Did he not? I don't know who's to say, but a, just a fun promo, fun little segment here. We learned that the the cream has been confiscated and analyzed. We talk about some fines that have been laid down on the birds in the past. They don't seem to mind. They're putting double up just to take Tommy Rich out. So just another good promo here on TV.
2: And more evidence that the cowboy is still basically in charge. That's definitely the Cowboy and uh,
1: Buck Robley also at this point still. I'm not sure what Buck Robley played here, but a lot of guys reference Robley specifically. I don't know if he was the one just relaying all of Cowboy's instructions or what the deal was, but I know they were dealing heavily with Buck Robley at this point. Now, there are a lot of things here that have me question. I heard a lot of people put over Robley as you know a detail guy in, in, in regards to feuds and things, and that could be possible because he was involved in a lot of the big stuff that took place in the Mid-South Territory. But at the same time, I agree with you 100%. Watts has still got his hand in this.
2: Yeah, and and Robley's the day-to-day figure. Well, it would make sense.
1: I don't know that that Robley was even working. I'd have to go back and look at the results of the Mid-South Territory at this point. I'm not sure when he stopped working in 81. And uh, maybe, you know, he he was sent over to the Georgia Territory. He doesn't appear on TV yet. We know that's coming as well, guys. Spoiler alert. Buck Robley will appear on GCW TV before too long. Uh, as this episode rolls on, we get another Freebirds promo at this point. God, it's in every other segment. I don't, I'm sure you didn't mind, Jamie. Uh, well, when... it's,
2: it's been a while <laughs> since they've dominated a the show.
1: Well, true that. They are back in town. They were gone a couple of weeks ago, gone off to uh, the Mid-South for that big Superdome show. But they're back, and they're making up for it now, <laughs> I guess you'd say. They say when they were kids growing up, all the other parents told their kids not to play with the Freebirds because the birds were bad company, and the parents were right says Michael Hayes. He says the birds will be bad company till the day they die. Now, the other day at the airport, Hayes says some old fat lady came up to him and told Michael Hayes that he was a nice-looking boy. But why does he do so many mean things? Newsflash, lady. Hayes is a man, not a boy. The free birds are mean when they get pushed. And DiBiase, he pushed and he pushed. And the free birds, they kept getting meaner. What they did to Ted was all DiBiase's fault. See, everyone thought that day on TV that the birds would try and injure the junkyard dog, which is true, but instead they fooled everyone, Jamie. They took out Ted DiBiase instead. The Freebirds have proven time and time again they're here in Georgia to stay. Hayes doesn't need the fans. He just needs his brothers by his side, and they will destroy
2: everyone in their path. And to steal line from Ric Flair. Woo! What yeah. a great interview by Michael Hayes. Tell us exactly how it is.
1: This was the best of the night, I feel, because it was more serious and it was more to the point. It wasn't all this hot and nasty, staying up all night kind of weird feeling shit that I wasn't really feeling the vibe for earlier on the show. But this one's pretty much to the point. Hey, we I love the little backstory. You remember that match on TV where we broke your neck, the 4 pile driver angle? You guys thought going in, we were gunning for the dog, which we all thought. I thought. And I even knew it, it was coming instead they turn the tables and they go after DiBiase and take him out instead of dealing with the dog they would get to him at a later date but I just I love this promo here Michael Hayes very deliberate in what he had to say and <laughs> the Freebirds continue on I can't believe they've been here this long and still dominating his
2: heels nobody's got the best of them not once yet the only problem with this promo it's about two weeks too early I can see what you're saying normally they cut a promo like this right before the show right And and every time that they have whatever they've said has come to fruition. So we're just about done with this episode of TV.
1: Got a couple of matches and a promo left here. Later on in the card here, it's French angel teaming with Jim Duggan on television. I wish this match was out there. Duggan and the French angel, Frank Morrell scoring a win over Mike Jackson and Paul Levin. Also, DiBiase back in the ring. Wonder if he had the blue dot again. This match, I couldn't find it, but I got some details anyway. Thanks to Mr. Walt Walansky DiBiase scoring a win over Ed Timms in this match. And remember, it was Ken Timms earlier on in the night pulling the mask of Mr. Wrestling 2. Well, this time it's his brother, Ed Timms. He tries going for DiBiase's neck here, like brother Ken did with Wrestling 2 earlier. Same outcome. Pisses DiBiase off. DiBiase takes him to task and picks up the win with the figure four leg lock.
2: Yeah, bad move on the Timms brothers on this. particular. Guess he wasn't
1: watching brother Ken earlier. Didn't learn the lesson.
2: Now he was probably trying his, his uh, Avenger mask on.
1: <laughs> Very well could be. Uh, we're going to close out this edition of GCW-TV. Another Ted DiBiase promo. DiBiase pointing out that it's no secret that everyone knows about his neck injuries, and he's doing his best to keep people away from it, but everyone is gunning for it. that injured neck, just like Ed Timms just tried to do. Timms going for Ted's neck only got DiBiase's adrenaline flowing. Take that, Timms. Ted heard Hayes out here running his mouth earlier, but he's proven there's no quit in Ted DiBiase. Now, I'm not sure how hard Ted was dropped in those pile drivers because he only recalls three pile drivers here when he's telling this promo, Jamie, when there was actually four. You'd think he'd remember that part of the angle.
2: Well, he did suffer a severe uh, concussion with it, so he forgot that part. But still, is cutting the best promos of his Georgia run right now.
1: Yeah, I was, yeah, I'm was. Yeah, i glad you said of his Georgia run, because that really specifies where he's at right now in the territory. It's unfortunate. These are the promos he needed to be cutting months ago when they were building him, grooming him for a world title one, uh, win. And unfortunately, you know, Robert Fuller has the book and politics come into play and things don't shake out the way they need to. But you're right, DiBiase, very uh, much like Hayes' promo right before his, very deliberate here,
2: explaining the situation. And he sounds very serious. You could see that the Cowboy hasn't really given up on a possibility of a DiBiase right. title no, run. DiBiase is still in the forefront, absolutely. Because it's setting up that when the Freebirds are eventually going to go down, DiBiase is going to be the man that takes them down, and that's what's going to project him into the uh, next stratosphere. The only problem is, there's, uh, as pe- people already know, there's a certain 280-some-pound blonde hair guy that's not going to allow that to happen. Only two hundred and eighty some pounds. I think you're being
1: generous. Uh but the uh show well, I thought at he- that time Dusty <laughs> was still under three. Yeah, you're you're probably right. I was try having a little fun there with Big Dust. <laughs> That's all. It's a little phone, baby, if you wheel. Go to the pay window. Dusty Rhodes, Mac and Dream. He'll be back here soon. We know he's in that tournament, but uh, we- that concludes this edition of Georgia TV. And then from the best of Georgia Championship Wrestling, the Sunday edition with Freddie Miller, a little bonus promo here this week, Jamie. Conducted by Freddie Miller, standing by with a wildfire, Tommy Rich.
3: Our Rich! You, Congratulations, you won it in Augusta, and it's great!
5: You know, thank you very much for you know just like a dream come through. The biggest thing that ever happened to me in my life, you know, and even right after the match was over, I knew that I got to one, two, three count. But when I come up off a of Harley race, you know, I, I still I don't know if I just didn't realize it or could, couldn't even comprehend it. I don't, I don't know. Just cause, like I said, you know, I'm all fired up, excited, you know, and I just like to think, you know, I'd like to thank all the people, you know, they've uh, been with me all the way. You know, I said home is where the heart is, and there's no doubt about it. Georgia is my home, and and you know, I want to represent the belt for the people. And uh, this isn't just my belt; it's the people's belt too. Because you know, without them, I wouldn't be where I'm at today, Freddie.
3: Tommy, the first time in history anybody from Georgia ever won the NWA World's Heavyweight Wrestling Championship—it's got to be the biggest thrill, and rightfully so, of your life.
5: Well, Freddie, you know what? What can I say? You know, I, it's the ultimate high of your life. You know what? You know, just like I said, my first dream was to be a wrestler. Then, you know, I become a wrestler, and. Uh, then I then shot at Harley Race, and I didn't do good, and, and I wrestled him before, and I thought it was the end of everything, you know, just like I said, I, I went home, and uh, I thought I'd never have a chance again, and I come back to Georgia, and I got my chance, and uh, with the people was behind me all the way, and there wasn't, you know... After it was all over, and, and when Ronnie West grabbed my hand and raised it up in there, you know, Freddie, I knew it was there. I knew I'd finally got what I'd been working so hard
3: for. Yeah, they said there were tears of joy in the uh, eyes of those people in Augusta. Well, listen, folks, jubilation is deserved for this man. And of course, we'll be back with, in fact, you're in the first match. You were scheduled the first match today anyway, so it's quite a day on best of championship wrestling.
1: And there it was a very giddy Freddie Miller, almost like a Mark, uh, excited for Tommy Rich's recent world title win, talking a little more about. Rich's recent world title, quote-unquote, run, and uh, obviously losing it back to Harley Race. But Tommy in line as the number one contender. Just so fun to hear Freddie Miller be part of the show. I wish more of the Sunday stuff from this time period was out there. And, you know, now that I played this back, I got to me to think a little more about Freddie Miller's time. Now, I don't really remember when... He gets fully involved with the Georgia wrestling stuff, but I, you're right about the local, the TV and stuff, because I remember he hosted like a local dance party type show and things of that nature. Could you imagine Freddie Miller hip on the uh, latest 80s craze? I don't know about that.
2: Well, I could definitely see him in the 70s with that I hairstyle. See,
1: I could see him having fun. <laughs> That's for sure. Freddie Miller knew how to have some fun. Dick Clark Jr. <laughs> oh my god so yeah there it was i was happy to get a freddie miller I, it was a tommy rich promo but to me i'll call it a freddie miller promo
2: it the shame we never got a dance show hosted by <laughs> cal rudman and freddie miller oh my god and i was just thinking of cal rudman when
1: i mentioned that too because even though cal rudman doesn't look like he'd have his pulse you know on music industry go google the man guys i mean th- that guy was the music industry they there was a a time apparently where he said if something was going to be a hit or not, and it was, or it wasn't, he made that call. So that it's insane to look at Cal Rudman and know that, but he obviously had a
2: passion for wrestling and he stayed involved there in your area. Yes. The, the beginning of the rocket wrestling connection. I was have to fill up your spectrum and MSG doing interviews. And then eventually he gets the, the spectrum job with Dick Graham call him play by play until they have uh, replaced him with gorilla.
1: Right, yeah, and I I just remember one fun segment. I don't remember what the match was. It's been years. It could have been against Morocco. I feel like it was Orndorff, but there's a match with Tony Atlas where Tony blades, and he's working hard to get the juice to come out. I mean, he's working hard to get it out. Finally, Tony has some blood on his face, and he takes a bump out to the floor. Cal Rudman gets up, oh, honey, come here, and he wipes the fucking blood off of Tony's face, and Tony, for a split second, breaks kayfabe, and just this rage comes over his face, and he, like, Shoves Cal Rudman away. Like, this motherfucker just got rid of all the juice that I just freaking worked to get out. You know, oh my God, he was so enraged. And Rudman thought he was like, you know, doing Tony a favor, obviously, and trying to wipe the blood off of his head for him. But it was just so funny. And I, it's been years since I saw the match, but I, I'm going to have to go back and try to find that one again.
2: Yeah. And you could see Freddie Miller playing the role of Cal Rudman. Absolutely. He, if there was a movie and Cal didn't want
1: to participate, Freddie Miller could easily have played cal rudman in a movie that's i mean that's, I, I
2: used to love the sunday shows i mean i know gordon did a lot of them uh the, the best of shows yeah but just like this one every now and then you'd have freddie and yeah just having uh, gordon was uh, maybe quote unquote under the weather or
1: something along yeah those i lines. wouldn't
2: pay attention to the matches but i would love those in between wraparounds uh like this one and uh, from what i could gather tommy was on the entire show it was just him and uh freddie Right, doing the wraparounds in between the matches.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's pretty unique and, and interesting. Those Sunday shows, a lot of people don't even know that those existed, uh, but they they did. And unfortunately, there's just not a lot of it out there. You know, it's a little substandard at times. Some of the promos, there's no crowd in the audience for the promos. So yeah, that's where where it was for the Sunday show. But I don't know about you, as we close out this edition of TV. But the show it felt kind of light this week, as far as stories or, or talent goes i should say because tony atlas gone from the territory steve-o your champion still in japan junkyard dog presumably doing some mid-south uh no vtr promos from any of the guys in this georgia tournament it was just like the birds rich dibiase show this week which is fine but for two hours it just, i wanted a little something different i guess and it just felt like it was just a rotation of those guys
2: well they were trying to make make this a tommy rich show well, they succeeded. You, you didn't and, want to have anything, you know, to overshadow that. No, you certainly. Uh, and you still had the Freebirds on there. So that, that was good enough to get the show through the show. Plus, your Omni show is still what, three weeks away.
1: And I did edit the, uh, well, actually, your Omni shows tomorrow night, but it's a different promotion running that Omni show, which oh. we're going to get to in just a minute. Uh, I know what you mean. And yeah, it's just, it's still a few weeks off. But uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Something felt missing for me. Like there, I felt like there needed to be one more moving part in the show. I get what you're saying. They needed to get this Tommy story over. And I want to be clear, guys, go watch this episode of TV because and it's out there. It's on YouTube, uh, especially that matchup between race and rich. Now I did edit that audio down, so it's a lot longer. There's at least five minutes of the match shown. So you go check it out. Watch Tommy race, win the world title. I don't know if there's any footage in Gainesville. I don't know if they brought a camera to Gainesville. I don't know if they, they cared as much about that match race, winning it back as they did having Footage of Rich going over, but we get to see Tommy Rich win the title anyway. As we roll on later on that evening, May the 2nd, Chattanooga, Tennessee Memorial Auditorium. Bobby Garrett over Pat Rose. Ted Oates defeating Ken Timms, Jim Duggan over Mike Jackson. Freebirds, Gordian Roberts over DiBiase in Wrestling 2 on a DQ. And Tommy Rich in the main event defeating Nikolai Volkov. Apparently the big Russian now in the company. Nikolai Volkov doing the job right away to Tommy Rich here. As we roll on to Marietta, Georgia, May the 3rd, Cobb County Civic Center, Roberto Soto over French Angel, Robert Gibson defeating Big Jim Duggan, Nikolai Volkov picking up a win over Jerry Oates, and Marietta wasn't Columbus, so I'm not as uh, shocked. And then the main event, it's DiBiase teaming with Tommy Rich, hell of a team, to defeat Gordy and Roberts, the Freebirds, in the main event there.
2: Yeah, I guess Volkoff... Uh... I believe he was on his way to Mid-Atlantic at this point. So he would probably right. just stopping off for a few shows, get a couple uh paydays in, and then work his way north.
1: Yeah, Nick, Nick I think he's uh, heading up, like you said, to Crockett. He's going to be there probably for the duration of the year. I think he winds up leaving by the end of 81. Crockett uh, even does a little bit of that Knoxville stuff for uh, Blackjack Mulligan, Ric Flair, and those guys. But uh, that's uh, that's another territory. So we'll stick here in Georgia. And while Georgia Championship Wrestling was running Marietta on Sunday, May the 3rd, there was another territory running the Omni that same night. That promotion, guys, the International Wrestling League, sometimes also called the International Wrestling Legion, the IWL, promoted by Thunderbolt Patterson and one of the originals to expose the business on a national level. Talking about Jim Wilson. And to talk the ill-fated IWL of 1981, Jamie, we have to go back much further to the inception of the IWL, which actually took place back around 1974. Now, I'll say this up front. Most of the inside details here, guys, comes from Jim Wilson's book. Yes, the same man that was blackballed for exposing the business because he claimed he was already blacklisted for not performing favors for one Jim Barnett, and also trying to run against NWA shows back in the 70s. And no doubt, after he did expose the business, if he wasn't blackballed before that, he certainly was after. Now, at the end of the day, as a fan, Jamie, my personal perspective of Wilson from a pro wrestling standpoint only, he was, at best, an adequate body in the ring you may throw in a preliminary match, but he had zero personality Zero charisma, but in his world, he was screwed, blackballed, railroaded, and prevented from success as a wrestler and then as a promoter twice here at this point now by 1981. And I'll let you guys be the judge as we continue to tell the story here, but I will say, even if half of what Jim Wilson says is true, I mean, it is business, but it's very interesting. And so we're going to go back now to 1974, Jamie, the first attempt at creating the IWL right after the NWA and Jim Barnett were able to put down Ann Gunkel's All-South promotion, the original Georgia war. Wilson claimed the IWL's first takeoff was thwarted by the NWA, Jim Barnett, and even Ted Turner himself. Now that IWA, they ran a show in 1974 at the Omni in Atlanta, which saw fans locked out during entry. And I've, I've read that in a few different places, so... Some of the fans never even got in to see the event. They were locked out early, and there was some kind of shenanigans involved, supposedly with some of the NWA promoters and the people there at the Omni, but uh, not going to repeat pages and pages of Wilson's book here, guys, but let's just say eventually there was tons of shadiness from all ends during this first IWL attempt in the mid-70s, false promises from backers, uh, reports of wrestlers being hired to work over Jim Wilson. One of the names was actually Harley Race, who was uh, supposedly hired to beat down Mr. Wilson. Uh, Never actually came to fruition. Wrestlers, though, agreeing to work for the IWL only to show up on NWA Georgia TV on TBS instead. So plenty of lawsuits involved there. Thunderbolt Patterson making racial discrimination accusations.
2: Needless to say, the first attempt at the IWL went belly up. Well, interesting. This is all... Brand new information for me. I didn't even know the IWL had existed. I never saw a thing about it uh, that's sticking in my memory anyway, until I started going over all the uh, Georgia results in 81 when we first started this project. That was the first time I'd ever seen anything about it. Yeah, I had remembered
1: Thunderbolt Patterson ran a pr- uh, promotion around this time. I don't remember the, the call letters per se. Obviously, uh, IWL is what it was. I knew Jim Wilson was on the roster. I d- didn't realize how high up he was here. He basically a co-partner with Thunderbolt, and, and by the looks of things, Jim Wilson probably put in a lot more of the money uh, to run the company as well. But it's unfortunate that things like this happen. But he talks about them being shut out of the Omni, being screwed, and basically right out of the gate in and, and, and the IWL Flounders' first attempt in the mid-1970s. What I found really interesting there is something we're going to see again here later in the month of May with GCW, he talks about them taking some of the talent that had agreed to wrestle on their show back in 74, and all of a sudden just seeing them overnight pop up on the uh, the, the NWA's TV, on TBS, they basically jumped ship, uh, offered a gig with GCW to screw with that IWL run, and we're actually going to see something like that. It, it's supposed to happen. It doesn't even actually happen, but we'll, we'll talk about that later on. But just a very interesting. I didn't know that they had tried this twice until I got into Wilson's book, and then I did a lot more digging. And lo and behold, there was an, a first attempt at the IWL. Thunderbolt Patterson was part of it then, Jim Wilson, Afa and Sika, uh, who would wind up being the Wild Samoans later on, also part of those initial shows. So now Wilson's spin also blames the same people again here in 1981 uh, Jim Barnett, Ted Turner, and the NWA. For putting the Sheik out of business uh, as well, up in Detroit, saying they wanted to take over Michigan. We'll, we'll talk a little more about that, I'm sure, too, as time goes on. But the Sheik joined up here with the IWL in the spring of 81. Obviously, he really had nowhere else to go. We saw him appear on a few shows there for uh, Georgia just a few months back uh, in West Virginia and uh, I believe up in Columbus, Ohio, or something along those lines. But that brings us seven years forward, 1974 to 1981. The resurrection of the IWL, once again promoted by Thunderbolt Patterson and Jim Wilson. And their first big venture right here, where else but the Omni in Atlanta? Talk about going straight for the throw to the NWA.
2: Go big or go home?
1: I suppose it's a go home or go home, likely. As <laughs> we uh, look at the card here, I don't have a lot of the results, unfortunately, but May the 3rd, the Omni in at Atlanta, the IWL invades in the two big matches on the show. Going to see Chief Jay Strongbow, who had recently been let go of the, de- from the WWF. So Strongbow had nowhere to go. So he comes down, and I don't know his tie-in here. I don't know if he knows Thunderbolt or what the deal is. But Strongbow winds up working on this show, teaming with Jim Wilson in the semi-main event, defeating Afa and Sika. There's those names again. They are remembered back from that 74 run. Defeating the Samoans here to capture the tag team titles. Of course, the promoter, Jim Wilson, going to score the win in that match with a sleeper hold. Also on the card in the main event, it was Thunderbolt Patterson defeating The Sheik. You guys really shocked about that? Defeating The Sheik for the quote-unquote World Championship in a spot that featured a fireball in the finish. Thunderbolt Patterson, the champion. Jim Wilson and Jay Strongbow, the tag team champions. Also on the card, there's a few names here that you'll recognize. But on the card, Big Red was scheduled to to take on a mystery man. Don't know who that wound up being. A lot of guys on the card we will talk about the names in just a minute. but. Another matchup slated for the the night was the Mighty Igor taking on Big O. And that's not Bob Orton Sr., guys. There was actually a Georgia wrestler, African-American wrestler, by the name of Big O. I think he appeared on GCW TV like one time. He's blinking you'll miss him. Uh, But it is what it is. But also uh, on that card in the Omni, listen to this lineup. Lars Anderson, Ronnie Garvin, Bob Roop, Cowboy Bob Orton Jr., Pez Watley, Al Perez, Gerald Finley. Terry Gibbs, Boris Malenko, Ted Allen, and Louis Tillette. of course, Thunderbolt, loosely working with the Sun Belt territory Outlaw Promotion down in Florida, who was running against Eddie Graham. So obviously, that's where Tillette comes into play, and Boris Malenko, and things of that nature. But any of these names really stand out to you? You surprised they participated here? You'd never know it from their TV.
2: No, Well, I'm looking at the you know Garvin, and Orton, Pez, right from uh, ICW, right after the split. Actually, Lars Anderson and Big O are going to wind up appearing on Georgia about two months after this, both yeah, of those guys. I, I, knew, I knew Big O was coming soon, yeah. Gerald Finley and Ted Allen are, you know, re- regular good hands. And then you got uh, Al Perez, who was, as when we review the television show, he'll be on that, uh, working out of Sunbelt.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, that's what I was figuring. Al Perez came up from Florida, and that's Sunbelt, ter- or Outlaw shows as well. So let's look at the names involved here. You already touched on a few of them, but the IWL making deals uh, with others down on their luck or blackballed right now. Sheik having trouble finding work, so he gets a headline spot naturally. So some of the old big-time guys come in, like the Mighty Igor and the Bug, also used. Jay Strongbow just let go from the WWF, nowhere to work, so boom, he pops up here. Like you said, Papo guys, ICW workers, Bob Roop, Ron Garvin, Pez Watley, Bob Orton. Also friends, friends from the original... IWL, Sika and Afa back, Lars Anderson, Big Red, Georgia guys, not doing anything right now. And then Thunderbolt also flew down to the Outlaw Sunbelt territory and worked TV there for Tolet and Don Curtis, who were the promoters there. And they, they got Boris Malenko and Let to come back and work their show. But also while down in Sunbelt, and this was really interesting, Thunderbolt, Jim Wilson says this, and I believe this to be true. While down in Sunbelt, Patterson spoke with Austin Idol and Jimmy Valiant who both agreed to come in and work the IWL. They gave promo videos that would actually air on some IWL TV shows to use for both guys. But when it came time to come, both guys were already magically uh, back in the NWA instead. Valiant went up to work a long run with Jim Crockett promotions and Austin Idol eventually returning to Georgia soon after this and other places as well. Now, reportedly another name who backed out also Abdullah the butcher, but it's just really fun to see all of these names and, a lot of these guys were on the outs right now with the NWA, especially the ICW guys, but pretty cool. I'm not saying they could have done much with it, but you know, going back to the Omni show, the venue itself, it seats something like 16,000 fans, but they only draw 4,400, uh, which Wilson referred to in his book as a complete bust uh, with a $14,000 gate when upfront costs were at 25,000. Wilson called it a financial disaster.
2: That definitely sounds like one. I mean- if Wilson's the man behind this, why are these guys going broke on the first show? Why didn't they just start working some of the towns in the area instead of going right for the Omni? I mean, and the television show was horrible. I don't know how many... <laughs> I like, I don't know how
1: they haven't many, even invented a word for what that television show was yet.
2: I, I don't even know how many weeks they ran before this. I, I mean, judging on things, maybe they started on May 2nd, or May 1st for the May 2nd show. That's right. how bad that show is. I mean,
1: I'd like to think I, that was one of the I, early episodes because I, I'd like to think it got a little better than what we saw and, there. And, and it is on YouTube guys. You can go look up the IEWL, the show we're talking about. It's the entire episode, something like 52 minutes long. Unbelievable. And it's the,
2: it's the day before the Omni show or right. even maybe that night, I forget which, which way it is, but how bad could those other shows have been? I mean, it's, and I've seen some bad independent promotions, in you know since 1990, sure, get television on sports Channel America and things like that
1: yeah, but they're not trying but to run the, the spectrum
2: right <laughs> you know they're not trying to run the spectrum exactly and it's uh, even Dennis carluzzo knew his lean Todd Gordon ECW he, he didn't go try to run the spectrum he found his own little niche over there in in the ECW arena. whoever Jim Wilson's advisor was if he had one, Was just as big of of a moron as he is to even attempt this. It's something you can say,
1: I guess, in hindsight. Hey, I ran the Omni. Well, that's great that you did that, but it cost you eleven thousand dollars to do it because you lost at least eleven grand, if not, if not more. I mean, with advertising and things like that involved as well. But it's just crazy that you know, right out of the gate, because we know the IWL was not around very long prior to the Omni show. May have been their first show, best I can tell, or one of their first shows, anyway. And to go, you said go, you were joking around. I hope they go big or go home. But obviously, they, they went big and they do go home. So that's that's what happens here. I agree with you. You know, build something up here if if you have anything to begin with. If they could have sustained the roster that I just read, maybe they would have had something. I'm not saying the level of uh, Tommy Rich, Ted DiBiase, JYD, and the Freebirds, but maybe they they could have hung around for a while and, and had a secondary yeah. crowd at those smaller cities, especially like you said, once Georgia forgets. Uh, GCW forgets about those cities. They could have, you know, if they just hung around long enough, they may have, they may have had a stronghold over those uh, that area as well.
2: Yeah, if they could have hung around at least two more years, because in '83 is when they start. Actually, late '82 they start bailing on a lot of the Georgia towns. That's why in '83 always starts up that, or is it Barnett? I guess it's only starts up that Georgia's superstars circuit to, mm-hmm. to run the smaller Georgia towns while they're off gallivanting around in the bigger cities
1: right right right
2: it it just doesn't i mean look back through wrestling history and and even in 1981 look back in wrestling the last 20 years how many outlaw promotions ever were successful
1: oh no and i agree and it's but uh of all of the outlaw promotions they they, these guys had uh, dollar signs in their eyes you know straight they just figured if you build it they will come well they built it you know they didn't do a very good job with the structure unfortunately and i just uh,
2: I can't believe, they mismanaged their money, no doubt, right out of the gate. I mean, even Sunbelt didn't go try to run the Fort Lee Armory. Right, no. Or the Bayfront Center in, in St. Petersburg, or, well, or the Orange Bowl in Miami. Let's put more context on
1: this. We just saw Harley Race versus Ric Flair in the Omni the week prior. So people have already spent their money. Are they really going to come back the following week to see, you know, yeah, Thunderbolt Patterson had been a name in the territory, okay, so there's a name, and Maybe the Sheik's nationally known to a level where you're like, oh, I know that guy. It's the guy that throws fire or something like that. But outside of that, there's nothing on that card that's going to draw you anywhere near 16,000 fans.
2: Now, there was an independent group that started, I want to say, in either 81 or 82 in Philadelphia. They didn't go try to run. Again, they didn't have television. But they didn't go try to run the Spectrum. They ran the Northeast uh, Armory in Philadelphia. But they were able to buy add time on the WWF show. And the main team was um, the Philadelphia Freebirds.
1: I've read about them.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they advertised that one show, but they, they never did one again. But the point being, I'm agreeing with you, they didn't go try running the Spectrum right away. And if they were going to run the Spectrum, the Spectrum, right. WWF was known not to run the Spectrum in September. You try to jump in at that point and run a show. I mean, now I understand Georgia's running every two to three weeks at the Omni, but wasn't the city auditorium still standing at that time where it had been burnt to the ground?
1: Uh, that I don't know because I don't know when they got rid of that the building itself. But you have to think there was – in Atlanta, a city the size of Atlanta, there was another venue that was smaller than the Omni that you could How have been about running
2: Ge- here. How about Georgia Tech University? I mean, they, they have to – even though Georgia Tech wasn't what Georgia Tech is today, they must have had a two or three thousand seat arena.
1: You know what they should have done? They should have just offered to pay the Oats boys whatever they
2: wanted and, and just take over Columbus. That's what they should have done. That would have been a bad idea, either. <laughs> I know uh, you're being facetious about it, but that would have been that would have made sense. That would have been made more sense than what they did, anyway. Yeah, certainly. exactly.
1: So it gets funnier from here, though, guys, because with the Sheik likely not returning, he did the job, and how often does the Sheik do the job? He took all of his belts with him. Those tag titles and that world title is actually his old U.S. title. So the Sheik takes all of his belts home with him. So the storyline, apparently, on TV following this was they claimed that while all of the baby faces were in the showers, the Sheik came in and stole all their titles. How how high-quality production is that, Jamie? So they had
2: a follow-up show after this? Uh, TV?
1: Follow-up TV. Yeah. How uh, yeah. long did they run on on TV? Uh, at least, uh, my understanding, a couple of months. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was probably for the best because right after the title wins, one half of the tag team champions, Chief J Strongbow, gone immediately after being promised to be used at an upcoming Georgia Championship Wrestling Omni show. More on that later, guys. It doesn't actually happen, but he is announced on GCW TV is coming back to the territory, so it's funny how quickly you know Strongbow's loyalty goes back to Georgia Championship Wrestling, and he was there last year. So this whole time he's been away from the WWF, it makes me wonder: was he living? I'm having to think he's living down there or something.
2: I thought I read somewhere that he um, did live down there for a good while, which is why he bought property and stuff after that run in '79 with uh, Ernie Ladd. Okay.
1: Well, that would make sense. So anyway, Strongbow, though, he wins the belts here in the IWL and almost immediately jumps ship back to Georgia Championship Wrestling. Doesn't even appear, so I'm not really sure what goes awry there. But they do manage to keep him away. Maybe they realize, oh, this place is folding. We don't really need you, uh, Jay. So (laughs) we're going to cancel that booking. And
2: and to to bring up a similarity to the first IWL, as we just mentioned, if they're on TV for a couple more months, Mm -hmm. no wonder Lars Anderson and the Big O show up on Georgia Championship Wrestling for at least one one taping. Right. Good call.
1: Good call. Because with Strongbow immediately gone after debuting and winning the titles, it leads to the brand-new tag team of Thunderbolt, Patterson, and Jim Wilson. Imagine that. Feuding with some variation of some masked guys called the Assassins. Who those guys were, I have no idea. But that feud, quote-unquote feud, will go on through the course of the months of May and June. So there you go, two months of IWL action uh, in your town, maybe your town, guys. One of their biggest towns moving forward, unfortunately, would be Carrollton, Georgia. And I, and I say that I'm not ripping the fans of Carrollton or the city of Carrollton, but I say, unfortunately for them, that was their biggest town moving forward. But it also happened to be one of Georgia Championship Wrestling's smaller towns. So they were basically relegated from going from the Omni to the smallest venues left in the Georgia circuit. Now, In regards to IWL-TV, we talked about it a little bit already, how it was structured and ran. Jim Wilson states in his book that they tried, but they couldn't buy 30-minute airtime. They were looking for 30 minutes of TV on TBS or even commercials to air during the 605 Wrestling Show. So they tried to sneak it through an ad agency after Ted Turner scoffed at the idea. But when they arrived to make the payment, they were told their spots could not air on TBS unless it was more than an hour before or after the GCW programming per Ted Turner himself. So he's, he's even helping out GCW at this point and having no other option with their Omni cards planned. That first Omni card guys, the IWL broke down and agreed for a four week deal leading in to this May 3rd Omni show, uh, airing commercials an hour before and after the Georgia championship wrestling programming. I wonder how well that helped. Uh, as for IWL TV, it wound up on a small UHF station, rabbit ears, guys, channel 36, i I've seen a lot of locals crap on it, one of the uh, shittier uh, channels in the area, I guess. Wilson claimed that Jim Barnett tried to buy them off the air there as well. I don't know why he would do that. We talked about GCW program going from 6.05 to 5.30. Well, I did find that interesting, Jamie. Wilson claiming they changed their time, first time in over 10 years. From 6.05 down to 5.30 to Combat IWL, which was airing at 5.30 as the lead-in to the 6.05 programming. Now, I don't know if there's any merit to the time change, but still very interesting.
2: Yeah, well, they end up doing that also. um, They go back to 6.05, but I think they go back to 5.30 in the fall when uh, TBS comes up with that college football tie-in. Yeah, I'm sure you're a huge fan of that. Oh, I was (laughs) so... You know, I, I finally get TBS, and then it's bad enough I get stuck with those stupid Atlanta Braves. Now they're going to screw me with college football, SEC college football, on Saturday nights, with complete with the college scoreboard cutting in on the half hours. That just sounded. We're, like a, we're talking about IWL here.
1: It uh, sounded like a very PC Jim Cornette ranter. I loved it. I was I was popping for it over here. <laughs> As Tracy Smothers would say, Jamie Ward is half hot. And <laughs> we're going to go on TV co-host here for the IWL show. At one point, and I say one point, like it ran for years, but no. But at one point, this was after after the Omni Card was Jay West. Now, if you recognize that name, he was the longtime GCW TV ring announcer. He was the ring announcer, but announced the guys uh, before the matches. A Big Red. I'm sure you saw this, Jamie. You love that Big Red Reese in there
2: as the co host
1: uh, of the IWL TV guy show. Too, and I,
2: <laughs> I love Big Red. I mean, he was on Georgia a couple months ago. We, we covered him stopping in, and he's going to come back to Georgia when this is over. So at least they didn't hold it against Big Red. Big Red and that
1: Holy Ghost splash. Oh, so, I mean, he, and I'm not trying to be funny. Maybe I am, but he takes up so much of the camera. I mean, he's larger than life, literally and figuratively. Big Red, the smile and. Just the uh, the energy that he has, the happiness of Big Red. How how can you be stay mad at that guy? Of course, he got back on GCW TV.
2: I mean, we're going to get to one of my favorite parts: Big Red and Michael Hayes teaming up. People haven't heard a good <laughs> Michael Hayes interview yet. Wait till you hear him and Big Red at the same time. What a duo! What a duo!
1: Now that that's where they dropped the ball. They should have been the tag team champions.
2: Well, if if um, Otis, Otis. Strunk hadn't showed up, maybe they would have been. Maybe they would have been. Good call. So.
1: I did more digging on this IWL because, as you know, if you head over to Facebook, lots of great uh, uh, Facebook pages uh, dedicated to old territories, including Georgia. And there's a lot of people who remember the IWL much better than, than uh, you know the research I could find on it. And most of their complaints were basically the same thing. And I, and I wrote it down here. Uh, I'm paraphrasing what a lot of the complaints were. They said, the TV was terrible. Almost every promo alternates from Thunderbolt Patterson to Jim Wilson. Now, that I can verify. That was on the TV we got to see, Jamie. Nobody oh, yeah. else Nobody else seemed to get TV time, and it was the same matches airing almost every week. Sometimes the same ep- episode would air back-to-back weeks. All the wrestlers did in their promos was complain about being misused in Georgia Championship Wrestling. And that was kind of funny because in Jim Wilson's book, he kind of confirms this. He talks about a legal threat and mandate that he had to make because he got a legal, legal threat from you know the NWA, uh, Barnett, or whomever it was, demanding them to stop speaking about their company on the IWL TV. And so I guess at that point, Wilson went into the back and, and him and T- Thunderbolt had an agreement that they would no longer bash Georgia championship wrestling or for holding them down all those years. But that's, that's pretty much what the TV was. It was like a, an hour long paid program of a uh, Thunderbolt Patterson and Jim Wilson putting themselves over.
2: Yeah, that's exactly, exactly what it was. And their interviews were how do I word this you and I step over each other once in a while Mm -hmm. but all four of those guys at one time were stepping over each other and you didn't know who the main who was actually supposed to be talking at the time you had Big Red Thunderbolt Patterson and Jim Wilson and and somebody else out there all at the same time all talking over each other during those interview segments it was a total train wreck. Yeah, it was
1: like Steve Stack and Rapido Rodriguez down there in uh, Southwest or something talking at the same time, only it was just a bunch, you know, obviously that was done for uh, reasons, you know, uh, the Spanish-speaking announced team and the, uh, you know, English-speaking announced team. But uh, you're right, in the IWL, everybody's just kind of getting their time. You guys got three minutes. Everybody's trying to get themselves over. That's really all it came off to me. It really felt like an infomercial. Uh, and, and not and wrestling, you could argue, was TV was an infomercial to get you to the house shows, I guess. But this is just not good at all.
2: Trainwreck city. And they'd have a match, which was obviously from another territory. And then they'd just come back and they just start, start, start yelling over each other. I don't even know who, at the end of the show, there's a short African-American guy. They never did, did say who his name was. I think it was Gerald Finley. Oh, was that Gerald Finley? If if it's the segment I'm thinking of, Gerald Finley
1: was on the show. That much I remember. He so. He was on
2: there twice. Once okay. wearing a blue shirt, once without a shirt on. And I had no idea who this small guy was. Yeah, I, I they believe, never said I believe
1: you're referencing Gerald Finley, I think. Okay, they never said his name. Yeah, but it, it was Thunderbolt trying, I, I guess, Thunderbolt doing you know doing his uh, due diligence to get some of the African-Americans on the show. I believe that's who you're referencing, right? It was a, a black man, right? Gerald, I think it was yeah. Gerald Finley. And Big Red, obviously, co-hosting the show. That was just fun in itself. Um, and
2: who was who the, was that Jay West?
1: On that episode? I don't think so. I think Jay west comes in, after that, in, but it
2: might have been. In the very beginning, Big Red says, I'm the host, and this is my co-host right here. And it was a tall, dorky-looking white guy. I have and no I'd have idea who back he again. was. I'd have they, to go
1: back again. I never caught the name. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's, it's a train wreck worth watching. I don't know if you guys will make it through the entire hour-long episode, but it's out there. It's on YouTube. you got to check it out.
2: I mean, and, even uh, the matches they have from the Detroit promotion. Right. They're bad. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, obviously, Sheik was coming in, so they could loan him some footage. They eventually, I guess, used some Sunbelt footage. I think they might have done it on there. I can't recall off-top, head. It's been a couple weeks since I watched it, but um, they're just grabbing footage from wherever they can because they don't have studio wrestling in the IWL.
2: They don't have anything, really, at this point. All right, so up to that point, they showed, in this show, they showed three matches of Thunderbolt Patterson winning from what year, who knows. Right. And then they had the Jay Strongbow match. And then they end up going back to or for the first time going to Suncoast and you got Al Perez against Boris Malenko. And then that's right. Yeah. I remember Malenko's match. Yeah. And then Malenko attacks him with the uh, chain after the match is over and who runs in to make the save, but Austin Idol.
1: Yeah. Austin Idol was down there. That's right. Cause uh, he was one of the guys that were propositioned, if you will, kind of almost like uh, morphing all of the outlaw territories into one big thing here. It doesn't it doesn't work, but it's kind of and, interesting. And ICW, I'd
2: never, see? never seen any Sun Belt before, so that was the first time I got to hear Don Curtis on play-by-play. He wasn't bad, but he was no Gordon Sully. Right, yeah. So you had Don
1: Curtis's territory, you had Popo's territory, you got Thunderbolt Patterson, you had the Sheik who had a territory. It's everybody who's not really, you know, uh, in good favor right now, good standing with with the NWA. They might have been able to do something if you know if you had one leader and. And, and their names weren't Thunderbolt Patterson or Jim Wilson either. You need And different... <laughs> we
2: brought up the name Lars Anderson, right? who had the, the World League Wrestling, which was airing on that old satellite program network. Yeah, the WLW. I think there's a little at, bit of that on YouTube as well. At the time. Yeah, I used to watch that every Saturday. That's where I got my first exposure to Randy Savage. Very cool. And since the IWL can't make it to the
1: Omni guys, they settle for small towns like Rome and Cartsville, Georgia instead And I'm not really sure where Cartsville is off the top of my head, but Rome, we just saw Tommy Rich and Harley Race come through Rome, world title match, right? And now they get uh, Thunderbolt Patterson and Jim Wilson versus two masked random guys as the assassins. So something tells me even in Rome, even drawn under a thousand anyway, makes me wonder if they were selling the house there in Rome uh, with what they were bringing in after the NWA. But ultimately, the blame mostly went to Jim Barnett for this, according to Jim Wilson anyway, who was, he was talking about. He goes back in time. He refers to this penthouse invite that he got while working for Jim Barnett in Australia as part of world championship wrestling way back in the day. The story goes, according to Wilson, it was uh, Barnett inviting him back to his penthouse for maybe some shenanigans and uh, Wilson turned it down. And that really upset Barnett to the point where he just blackballed Wilson for the rest of his life, claiming uh, that refusal led up to everything that happened here, blaming Jim Barnett. He, uh, that, This is essentially the story is what caused this
2: entire mess. I mean, this could have been Jay Strongbow starting this promotion and not Thunderbolt and Jim Wilson. And the NWA would have did the same thing. Right. They would have crushed them.
1: Yeah. it's it's it, They would have done whatever they, you know, we've seen that time and time again, guys trying to upstart a new promotion, not just here in Georgia, but in a few other places as well. Knoxville had happened. It killed the whole town, obviously dead, but Once Roop and those guys left and tried to start up their own thing again, all-star against uh, Ron Fuller and company, the NWA, they saw Ron needed help. They started sending in the troops from the other territories, had, you know, stacking up the card. It wound up killing the entire territory for both promotions, but they, they made sure that they weren't going to be overtaken by this secondary promotion. Obviously this happened way back when, you know, the story goes Barnett came back from Australia specifically to put Ann Gunkel out of business and, Eventually, they loaded up the card. They started sending in talent from out of the Georgia territory to just just stack the box, so to speak, and put, you know, uh, Ann Gunkel, the All-South Territory, out of business. If, you know, if you want to believe whatever you want to believe, they, they didn't really have to do much here, and IWL is uh,
2: over before it begins. And this is probably why, if the, the story is true with Ted Turner, with the conditions for them to get onto TBS... He didn't want to deal with it. You're, you're only talking six years after the last war just ended. And he probably didn't want to get in the middle of it again.
1: Yeah, I guess Turner just put the kibosh on all of this. He was like, no, they're not going to have a, a show on my channel, and, which he made a mistake. You know, he had that deal with Gunkel and things before. He couldn't really do anything about that. Uh, but this time it wasn't happening. And he, they weren't even running commercials during their shows, which is, you know, to say a lot. No, no localized uh, commercials to air during GCW TV. Very good business decision. You know, I can see Vince doing the same thing and people crapping on him for you know eternity, but it's business right. at the end of the day. And I guess, you know, that's a good call. It does it suck. It sucks for, you know, the, the small mom and pop show trying to pop up and, and, you know, make make a living. But, you know, you're not owed anything. You can't, just you know, well, I think we should succeed. So we should we should succeed. Now, a lot of what Wilson says comes off like it's true. He He knows how to word things to where it's not overbearing. So I'll say that much for him. How much of it's true and how much of it's not, I don't know. Again, going back to this whole penthouse invite. Was there a penthouse invite? I could buy that story. That's It's possible. But for Jim Barnett to get so pissed off at this Jim Wilson, go get a look at what this guy looks like, guys. For Jim Wilson to go, no thanks. And then fucking Barnett to hold this terrible grudge to just, you know, screw him out of his life <laughs> to a degree. It's just silly. I, I don't I don't buy that part.
2: I mean, for the most part in wrestling, it was forgive and move on. How can we make money? Yeah, if you had talent,
1: you were going to come back. You know, look at the 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 Plan B and the, the Knoxville Five. Bob Orton, Ronnie Garvin, those guys were quote-unquote blackballed. But, you know, it, it, it maybe Orton's push never got to where it could have been at a certain period in time uh, because that kind of stalled him for a little bit. But outside of that, I just, I mean, it didn't really, they had talent. They came back. Ronnie Garvin became the NWA world champion after that little little routine there. Obviously there was things in play for that to happen, but Ronnie Garvin was part of the NWA for years after that. And Pez Watley had a good run. Oh yeah. Pez On
2: on TBS after. Crockett
1: wouldn't even let him go. Pez was going to come into the mid South in January of 86. And just to get him to stay, they came up with the idea of turning him heel and making him Shaska. Now I know that's not much, Jamie, But it's it's giving you TV time. You're going to be with Paul Jones' army. You're going to work with Jimmy Valiant. Yes, it's the the C team, but at the same time, we're giving you something to do. And what you know, Pez stayed with Crockett, so Crockett clearly saw value in having Pez on the card. And I was always a huge Pez Watley fan, so uh, no problems here with me seeing. You know, I mean, the the jive tones and all that silly nonsense is what it is. But I love Pez Watley. I love watching his ICW stuff and everything. So.
2: Oh yeah, I always enjoy and look at Bob Roop. I mean, he had tried to take over the the public story anyway. He tried taking over Shire's promotion, but yet Ron Fuller still gave him a chance in Knoxville. Right. You know, the story is it came back to bite him. So yeah. there's always in wrestling, you're going to get that second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance unless you really screwed up somehow.
1: Well, I look at it like, you know, uh, Bob Roop, obviously, like you said, he did, you know, the, the deal in San Francisco, comes over and works the NWA in Nash- or Knoxville, like you said, for Ron Fuller. Like, you know, once again, those guys defect, they form all-star. That doesn't really work out for various reasons. But, you know, you look a year later and Bob Roop, uh, actually just a few months from here uh, in uh, 1981, he's down there in the Mid-South getting ready to turn heel on Ted DiBiase, and he's going to become the North American champion, their top title. I mean, Bob Roop is not only hired by by someone, he's hired by Bill Watts, who doesn't play games, right? And uh, so, yeah, Watts wasn't affiliated with the NWA, but he was loosely. And if he thought Roop was, you know, no good, he wouldn't have used him. If you have talent, you're going to get
2: second, third, fourth chances. Yeah, and and then Roop goes on to get the Georgia run when Ole starts back up again and hangs out there into a couple months of Crockett before he goes back to his roots in Florida. Yeah, so guys, they get their second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. And I'm not denouncing how— For the most part, it's just business. That's the way the wrestling industry looked at it. It was just business.
1: I agree. And I'm not denouncing how over uh, Thunderbolt may have been at once upon a time or how fun that his character and his personality, his charisma was. When you go back and watch some of the stuff that he did earlier on in his career, maybe not the best wrestler, maybe not always in the best of shape at times in his career. And yet you hear all of these stories that I'm not going to get into right now because we're closing out the show, but a lot of different stories, a lot of different things, a lot of politics involved, a lot of other things involved. That people didn't want the headache, and even still, after all of this, Thunderbolts with the Georgia territory by 1985, he's there when Crockett buys him out.
2: Yeah, he still, and he gets a run in Crockett for a couple months. It's not like when Crockett bought the TBS time, all those guys were instantly gone. The, right. the only one that really disappeared was Tommy Rich. The rest of them all got to stay on for a little bit longer.
1: Yeah, there was quite a quite a bit of talent there. Uh, Bob Roop was there at that time. He stayed on for a while. Buzz and Brett Sawyer, and of course Thunderbolt yeah. Patterson, because Ole instantly turns heel on Thunderbolt. They had been teaming up, but that's my point here. Thunderbolt is in '81, suing the NWA, suing Georgia Championship Wrestling, suing all of the you know all the people involved and, and things of that nature. And then uh, he's just a few years later, and this is long after he's peaked. His t- <laughs> you know he's not in his prime anymore, and he's still getting a, a shot to appear on TV based on you know, his former run in the Georgia territory. So it goes to show you, like, again, you know, talent overshines everything at the end of the day. And if they felt Thunderbolt had a little bit to offer, you know, obviously they brought him back in as well, even in the mid 80s. So, yeah, it's just funny to look back. Jim Wilson, not so much, of course. You know, he I mean, Thunderbolt
2: TV. even got a, I forget how many weeks it was, but uh-huh. he got brought back in the WCW time in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. He was always yeah. kind of there loosely. He yeah. was, you know, you know no, Ice Train. Wait. Is that who he he was with, Ice Train? Yeah. Yeah, I just remember him coming back real quick. Didn't last long.
1: Yeah, I think they did a gimmick like where he he had trained Ice Train or something along those When they first brought Ice Train in the first time, I think, is is uh, the memory I have of uh, when he was back. He also okay. worked that first Slamboree match, uh, first Slammer card 93. So, yeah, they, right. uh, Thunderbolt was always loosely affiliated with him. But, uh, yeah, it's just kind of interesting. Jim Wilson, not so much. Of course, he goes on uh, TV and exposes the business as well with Eddie Mansfield. That didn't help. But, yeah, it is what it is.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right guys, we're gonna wrap it up there this week. Hopefully well, we got a lot in for seven days. We covered all of this. All of this took place in seven days, the IWL, Andre the Giants injury, episode of TV, obviously, and of course, you know, the Tommy Rich World title win and, and race winning it back.
2: Yeah, it was a busy seven days. As a matter of fact, my uh my voice is almost shot because we covered so much. I do apologize, Jamie. We did run a little longer ah, than no, usual. I'll- it's a good time. I get lost in this. So I
1: truly expected this show to go a lot shorter than it did. I didn't think this, I I thought we would have a lot to talk about, but I didn't think it would run this long. So for anybody expecting a little shorter show this week, I do apologize guys. I I figured, you know, walking in, we we got a couple weeks worth of material. We can do two weeks worth of TV. And then I didn't even get to the IWL. I was just going through the TV portion of the formatting. And I said, there's no way. We're going to get to another week of anything. So I'm just happy I we mean, got all of the this. To,
2: the whole Tommy Rich thing changes the entire wrestling business. It does. A, as we as we discussed earlier.
1: Yeah. And uh, it being on cable leads you to believe in other territories that when the world champion comes to town, maybe your guy really does have a shot,
2: you know, so it's, uh, it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. I have a blast every time I'm on here. And we never know where we're going, right? We, we always know where we're supposed to go. But there's certain variants that we run off on. And it makes things go a little longer once in a while. Hopefully everybody endures our little variants when we go off.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have formats. I do research. But, you know, if we can take it somewhere else, I'm not going to stop it from getting there because there's just so much to talk about in the world of wrestling. And I'm, I love it when we do it. I love it when we get sidetracked for a little bit. And I think I think the listeners do, too. It's like, oh, my God, it's like a bonus, you know? But uh, yeah, that's going to wrap it up here this week, guys. Uh, Jamie, I appreciate you joining the show one more time. I think next time uh, out, I'm going to be back with Roman Gomez. He's been contacting me about covering the Crockett Cup for 1986. But it won't be long, Jamie. Hopefully, we get some more shows in the books here very soon while you're on vacation. Try to get another one in with you before you take off and have some fun and uh, talk a little more about May of 1981 in the Georgia
2: Territory. Yeah, because May is another transitional month. A lot's going to happen. It's going to shape the future of Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yeah, I believe we're going to be switching bookers here very
1: shortly, and just a lot more coming. Uh, American Dream coming back into town, BBF, and so much more. But, Jamie, just want to thank you again for being here this week. Thank you for running along with me. I had a
2: blast. All right, no pleasure. And uh, be- before I go, I just want to let everyone know that I just returned from another uh, trip out on the other ship. If you get a chance, please check out the other ship. Uh, podcast with Chris Spiker, Drew Samuels, William Mer- Merriweather, and Michael Herrick. We just spent two weeks previewing SummerSlam and reviewing SummerSlam, and their next couple shows. They're dedicating to the music, and everyone's favorite subject, especially mine, junk food. You can't go wrong. So, if you get a chance, give the other shit podcast a listen.
1: Always some fun topics there, and it's kind of like when we go off, you know, off the rails. They- they, you know, they don't mind moving around and discussing various things. So always a fun time. You never know what they're going to talk about over there at the other ship. And, uh, Jamie, uh, I hope you're having a blast over there with them, but I want to keep you here on regional wrestling as well. So, uh, don't, don't overdo yourself. If, if you ever need some time away, we will, we welcome you back anytime here, uh, on regional
2: wrestling. Ray, this is my first home. I'm not going anywhere.
1: <laughs> well, we appreciate it, Jamie, and we will talk to you soon. We'll be back more regional wrestling on the way, you guys all right that's going to wrap it up here this week guys going to be back here soon with jamie more georgia 81 on the way but also next episode roman gomez back to talk crockett cup 86 and i for one can't wait so until then you can follow me ray russell on twitter at wrestling grenade that's at r-a-s-s-l-i-n grenade and i'll be back soon with more regional wrestling as we continue to talk the territories